Okay, thank you. Okay, we're going to go ahead and begin. We do not actually have a quorum, so um, we will. And then we do a public comment, Mike. Should we wait till quorum for public comment? The or? public comment that you have is actually for item B3 anyway. Okay. So we're going to open the meeting uh, as an informational meeting and then go. And we'll do a roll call anyway. Okay. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Please. Uh, Trustee Avalada is not here. Trustee Banerjee? Here. Trustee Charland is not here. Trustee Shequin? Here. Trustee DeVries is not here. And Trustee Peterson? Here. All right. We do not have a quorum. Okay. So we will do public comment. Let me, let me get my agenda here. So there are action items that we will revisit, uh, assuming we, at some point, establish a quorum. Uh, why don't we start with public comment, and uh, Melissa? So it's, if it's for an item on the agenda, do you want to save it for the agenda item? Oh, I'm sorry. I heard that, and I didn't really listen to it. Yeah. So uh, we're going to reserve this for a particular item, and we're going to reserve that for this item. item. What if the, uh, we never establish a quorum? We just need to have people. Oh, well, I guess I shouldn't respond to that. We should look at my. I think you said Mike. If it's a public comment on an informational item, even can you do that without a quorum? Yes. Okay. Yes, I'm going to ask you to come up then. It's an informational item. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Good evening, my name is Dr. Zuriaga. I'm a second year resident in emergency medicine and one of the elected COR union representatives. I came here today to discuss the failed contract negotiations between CIR and AHS. In the of the immense pressure to control rising labor costs and the role this pressure has played in the contentious negotiations this year. I want to take a minute to talk about who we are as residents and what we do. The emergency medicine program at Highland is among the most competitive in the country. It attracts some of the most diverse and brilliant individuals in medicine, not in small part due to the culture at AHS that has traditionally been respectful and collaborative towards residents. We as residents are the ones that directly provide care to the patients who walk through AHS's doors, and we're the lifeblood of this hospital. Because of the immense amount of time we spend on documenting, caring for patients, and performing procedures, we feel we bring in considerable revenue for the hospital. In the final use as residents, we perform most, if not all, the duties of a fully licensed physician at a fraction of the cost. We are the biggest bang for your buck. We work close to 80 hour work weeks, and we work nights, weekends, and holidays without overtime pay. We make close to minimum wage on a per hour basis, and work under conditions that most providers would find unacceptable. We care for an extremely vulnerable, high-risk, low-resource patient population that face threats of violence within our own ED on an almost daily basis. Many of us are parents struggling to balance paying for childcare, rising rent costs, all our children crushing medical student and undergraduate debt. Historically, HS has chosen year after year to value and support residents and even expanded funding for resident physician slots in recent years. They recognize that small investments in residents provides big dividends in the form of improving both the quality and productivity of residents coming to AHS. 
Because of years long continued support of residency programs, I believe AHS sees the value in the critical services that we provide. Our requests largely focus on maintaining the current status quo and the guarantees that were in our contract when we chose to train here. The concessions we ask for are needed to do our job safely and allow us to focus on patient care. They involve key issues such as how and when we eat, where we park, and reimbursements necessary for medical licenses to prescribe basic medications, as well as ensuring our access to clean and appropriately sized white coats. While cutting resident benefits might seem prudent in the short term, I can assure you that from a strategic perspective, this is reckless and short-sighted. Cuts like this will weaken the quality and productivity of residents who come here. And this will inevitably affect patient care and cut into the hospital's bottom line in the long term. Unfortunately, at this point, we are in passing negotiations and the AHS negotiator has refused to offer counter proposals or any additional bargaining dates for which to meet. I'm optimistic and confident that as long as we continue the conversation in a respectful and dignified manner, we can negotiate a memorandum that is mutually beneficial for both parties. We'll continue to strive to maintain a cordial relationship with AHS as we have for the past 25 years, and we ask that you do the same. Thank you for your time. Thank you. We do now have a quorum, so I'm going to ask you to read roll call again to establish quorum. Sorry. Trustee Alvarado? Here. Trustee Banerjee? Here. Trustee Charland? Is not here. Trustee Shiklin? Here. Trustee DeVries? Here. Trustee Peterson? Here. We have a quorum. Okay, we have uh, two more public comment items here. So, um, but these are under particular items. Should we wait or? Uh, yeah, if the item is. No, lower the quorum, yeah. Yes, yes, if they're identified adequately. So both uh, Linda and Rose, uh, we're going to go through the agenda and we'll ask for your comments at the point of the agenda when that comes up. Thank you for coming. Okay, let's get back to the agenda. <coughs> Minutes. Is there a motion? Move the roll. I second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you. Let's go to information discussion items. 1B, finance report. I am. Aye. So, I'm going to do my best multitask here. They didn't tell me this when they offered me the job that you had to use a clicker and. You want me to do that for you? Can you do that? Of course. You can do my email. Yeah, just tell you. Go for something here. Okay. So, um, inpatient activity continues to be strong in February, and um, as we've seen in the prior months, the outpatient activity is continuing to um, be below budget. Acute patient days were 10.1% above budget for the month and 5.7 um, year to date. So strong trend there. The acute discharges increased in February and were above the budget, um, unlike the prior month where they had been running below. Year to date discharges are at budget and the average length of stay um, continues to be above budget in, for February and the prior months. Um, Post-acute days were at budget and slightly over um, year-to-date for the fiscal year. Clinic visits were um, below budget, which has been the trend for the um, entire year, and were 4.2% below year-to-date and 1.6% below the prior year. ER visits um, also are continuing to be below budget, which is um, the contributing factors to the outpatient revenue in total being below the budget. 
and physician um, RVUs are above budget, which has been consistent with the prior months. Okay. So net patient service revenue was under budget by 1.9 million, and this is partially off offset by the um, 900,000 um, over budget in the supplementals, and the overall revenues were a million under budget. Federal's expense um, was also um, over budget by 2.2 million. Mm -hmm and primarily driven from pharmaceuticals, repairs, and a budget um, issue in the benefit line, which I'll talk about later. Um, net operating income, 3.2 million under budget for February, and year-to-date, um, we are slightly above budget at 1.7 million. And the overall um, net income line was under budget by 2.2 million, and for the month, an over budget by 5.4 year to date. And uh, I just would like to um, remind you that on the net income line, I know Nancy talked about this in the prior meetings, that we are holding off on booking the long-term portion of the pension until we um, receive the actual report in June, so we could see that bottom line go up or down. It, it's we never know the actual report. Right. Okay, so here's a closer look at the revenues. Um, the outpatient revenues were under budget, as I said before, and it's offset by a positive over budget for inpatient and professional um, revenue. And year-to-date gross charges are 4.5% above year-to-date. So the um, net patient service revenue being under budget in the short fall is consistent with the lower cash, um, the lower collection percentage um, for the current fiscal year. So we had um, spoke earlier that we were anticipating a short fall in the net patient revenue, somewhere about 27 to 29 million dollars. That seems to be right on track to achieve that um, projection. And the supplemental revenue, which I mentioned, was above budget by 900000 That is due to the Alameda parcel tax. Um, our estimate was a little low, so we had a favorable pickup when we created it up. And then also, um, Nancy had been informing you about the um, managed Medi-Cal GME program and waiting to see if it's approved. It's still pending. So we have our fingers crossed it will be approved by June and we can with a clear conscious, you know, book that revenue in. But it will be less than what you have. Less than what we expected. We were thinking like, I think four to five million, is yeah. that? And we've started to adjust for that since yeah. January. We've started to back it off, but we're hoping we don't have to take it all off. So on the um, expense highlights, the FTEs continue to be um, under budget. There are 205 FTEs under um, for February and pretty close to that year to date. The um, total labor, labor expense, excluding the benefits, was right at budget. And um, the salaries this month include a retro wage adjustment for the um, UAP PA docs, which are the interns and residents. There was a retro adjustment um, based on closure of some union negotiations that went back to 2017. To just so correct, the PD docs and the interns and residents are the uh, inventory docs and the site emergency docs. My mistake there. That's okay. 
So, um, so the actual benefits, you'll notice, were um, $852,000 under budget. The actual um, expense for the month is consistent with what we've seen in all the prior months. But when the budget was developed, um, the spread, for some reason, um, starting in February, I have to think what month I was talking about, in February um, and then May, there was a big credit um, budgeting. Mm -hmm. So we see it dip down, go back up a little bit, and then it's going to dip back down again. And so we'll, we will review that more closely as we spread the current the budget we're working on now. But the actual expense, I think, is fine. Um, pharmaceuticals was also um, over budget. Couple of reasons there. We are transitioning our pharmaceutical vendor from Cardinal to McKesson. Um, McKesson's part of our GPO, and we expect long term as we accumulate spend under that contract that our per unit price will drop. And so we'll see savings long term. But in the transition, we have a little bump up in expense. And then also, they have been using um, higher, um, more specialty drugs for things like multiple multiple sclerosis, which I think, didn't you tell me it was like 25,000 a dose? And so, and we had about five patients in with, those, with that particular diagnosis. And then we are also having to buy certain pharmaceuticals off contract because we have vendors such as Pfizer that have had plant um, issues due to like the hurricane in Puerto Rico. And so they, the shortage of supplies, so we're going off contract. Um, repairs and maintenance is also um, over budget. That is um, due to um, repairs over at the San Leandro facility and some biomedical equipment. So I think overall, on the expense side, even though they're over this month, I think the team has had a really good focus on managing that, and we would expect it to um, hopefully just write itself and go back to being at budget or slightly below. Um, to the same side? Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we want to make sure. I'm watching you. So, um, on this side, both the um, net and gross AI days have increased um, about two days over the prior month. Um, that is a flow. We had a little lower cash collections, not much, but enough to make it um, pop up. And we've also been working on the EBU. So, our goal is to drive. The, um, the billing to get the days as low as we can. So as we go into the epic conversion, we have as much collected up front in that couple months that we have as everything ramps up. Hopefully we can get out of that fairly quickly and into epic. And then AP days um, also um, increased slightly. That could just be a timing thing. They are doing a great job there. AP team, with the help of Luis, has brought lean in and has worked on revamping, I think, probably 90% of their operations. And so they are working really hard, and I would hopefully see those days go down a little further. They're still well below last year. They were below last year, that's true. But um, that whole group has just been amazing to watch. So, and the, the chart I'm looking at, you know, that was in the packet, is, is different than this one. Uh, yeah. So I, pulled, I thought I pulled it off the same source file. Yeah, and it just looks better. 
So I'll take this the, one. The graph one? Yeah, this one doesn't have this. This one doesn't have this. Yeah, well, I'll repeat to see this one. Oh, you're talking about the net. Oh, I'm sorry, I know why. That's, that's not the same. That was not the same file. So um, after I did the narrative, um, I updated the cash. Mm -hmm. the cash forecast to bring it up to date because we've been doing a lot of so this support work with for the county. This is more current. This is the more current version with more actual data in it. Great. Thank you. Okay. Because I'm seeing the other one. I know I pulled that from the same place. So, it my attention yeah. it's in the packet. I was going so, so for the NMB forecast, so we um, expect to be compliant at the end of the year. And then there are some possible challenges going on forward. Right, but that's a different That's a different that's conversation. A different story, right? Yeah. Okay, thank you. Yes, you're welcome. Um, so this is the reserve schedule. And so I've highlighted the two items in yellow. <coughs> Um, those are monies that we actually owe back to the state for the old waiver and for some Medi-Cal um, cost report items. And so we're still waiting to determine the timing of those. And in the prior screen, the cash forecast, it kind of went up closer to the line. That is because um, we had booked an estimate of what we anticipate we may have to pay back in June, mm -hmm. but we don't have a firm confirmation on that yet. Right. So you haven't sent me the letter. Is that what you're saying? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. So you, they send you a letter, and then you have 30 days or 45 to, right. to pay them back. Got it. So are you saying that this number is impacted by the fact yes, that that's what, that's what made it some portion up. of this actually had been anticipated in the year before, and then you shifted it out? Is that what no, I left the $20 million in there. Okay. And then the rest is in the subsequent years. Because gotcha. we only anticipate a couple of years will settle and be asked that to pay sense. back. So this is but that's that, that mm -hmm. might be part of the difference. Great. Thank so. you. Okay. All right. And the, um, the last communication that I saw is that we um, have anticipating that all the old waiver years will be settled by December of 2020. So within the next 18 or so months. And that's the old waiver number of 94? Of 94. That's a big cliff. Mm -hmm. so I just want to point that out. Yes. So this is the um, cash collection. So overall, um, we've been consistently higher than the prior year. And, and year to date through the end of um, February, we're about 38 million higher in cash collections. So that team is also doing an outstanding job on focusing on getting the cash in. Yep. All right. So these are the assumptions for the most current um, um, fiscal year 19 projection. I'm very similar to what you saw um, at last month's meeting. And this one with the unreadable tiny print is the actual um, forecast. So we are expecting that um, we will hit our EBITDA target of 4.5%. Um, That's our expectation at the moment. And I don't see any reason why it wouldn't change unless you have a different opinion. No, no, no. no. Good? Okay. I was just pointing, oh, trying to use the corner, but it goes away on the screen so we can see it. 
But that's a fine. It's just a second with Abbott alone. Yeah. And then it's hard to say what, what does it really say up there. Oh, no, it's, it's, you know, it's 4.6 for projection um, for the month of June, for the full year, 4.5, right? off of 4.6, which okay. is just slightly. Oh, yeah. So how do we make up, so we had a little setback this uh, in February. We did. Um, and we end up in the same place uh, you were, that staff reported out on. So we, so um, through the series of budget meetings um, that we've done over the last couple of weeks, we've identified some additional epic expense that we feel could be capitalized. It meets the criteria to be capitalized. So we will be doing that. We also are um, sticking to that strict um, line that we need you to come in at your budget or below your budget. Mm -hmm. So Luis has been having those conversations and um, this team, I think, will just make it work. Yeah, thank you. And a lot of uh, what we saw this month were also hoping uh, or anticipating were episodic or just like one one time lips that what we mentioned we expected in. Uh, uh, flatten back out to right. part of performance, but we'll see if that, uh, if that pans out. So, for instance, the little you know interesting thing that happened with the budget or the benefits, we're not we know the actuals right. The problem is the budget's kind of odd, but the budget kind of works itself out by the end of the year. It's and it's continued to one month. In one Two, two, two different months. months. Two two different different months. months. I'm sorry, you didn't no. say that. Two different months. But the year is good, and so the expense like trend's good, so I'm thinking it's going to come together. It's right. just going to have two months that look a little strange. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Other questions at this point? This might be a good place to... Sure. You want to see the 12-month rolling, and then yeah. well, yeah. stop looking so because that's, that's yeah. the big story. Quick question Please. on the San Leandro uh, expenses being higher. That's not part of the rehab because that's capital, correct? No, it was. Um, it's it's no, it's like they needed to um, do a little bit of work in the bathroom, maybe change out a door, repair some some tile. And so we brought in an outside contractor to do that because we didn't have a bandwidth within our own facility group. And so we've done those kind of repairs. And those repairs, although they could you know, be $10,000 or $15,000, they, they don't meet the criteria to be capitalized. So we run them through the expense line. No, no, the rehab is, though, correct? Yeah. And the rehab's is being capitalized. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, separate. But these are like, other okay. other things. That's why we're just wondering if the rehab project was on target. So it is great. Go on, sir. Excited for that. Mm -hmm. And under budget, right? Mm -hmm. Great. Uh, other questions? Okay. Let's go to the okay. more ominous forecast. So the next one is the um, 12 month rolling um, projection, and so these are the. Um, the assumptions. Thank you. <laughs> my head. The yes. assumptions for this. Um, so I'd like to. Um, there was a couple of things that we've called out in the past. So there's no assumption for the movement of the rehab um, from the Fairmont campus over to the San Leandro, and the combining of that into the Highland 
um, licensure. So that bit of work is not here. Um, we also are expecting that the EBITDA margin to decline in 20, in fiscal year 20 when the Sapphire um, project goes live and then that expense, where those costs can't be capitalized anymore. There's roughly 30 million in supplemental revenue loss, um, which is kind of becoming clear as it, we get closer to June and some of these programs begin to true up. With, we're not seeing any unexpected um, gifts in terms of supplemental revenue at this point. Um, there are no foundation revenues included to offset the Sapphire operating cost. They have um, just recently kicked off their campaign, and so hopefully we get some hard numbers and could project that in later as a positive pickup. So that's something you assume will go into the budget assumptions. Um, Is that what you're saying? Hopefully we'll have enough information. Yeah. I'm sorry. Hopefully we'll have enough in time to uh, put uh, those dollars into the budget assumptions. Uh, uh, but it could be, well, it's a situation where the committee just started in February. And capital campaigns are hard to anticipate. You know. Yeah. I mean, the goal is, is clear, and that's always been the case. It's $30 million, uh, um, and it's just a matter of the evolution of the work. Prospecting is happening now. The case statement is being refined. It's a matter of actually going through that process of cultivating those donors and having a better sense of how much we could expect in the fiscal year. What sort of response you're getting to the pitch and so forth? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll know more when, we, when that happens. Um, and then the final um, item that, that was changed um, in the last month is we increased the um, EPIC training and implementation costs that are part of the operating expense um, to be a little truer to what we think they're actually going to be incurred at, which is a little higher than the original um, forecast. So the important context for the trustees is, um, uh, as you know, over the course of this year, we've been running more below budget on the uh, project, which is a great thing. Uh, uh, we have Mark and his team really do a, a deeper dive for year-to-date experience, projected for the remainder of the year, and then uh, expenses in the next, I think we went out two more years. And the shift, as uh, Ann mentioned earlier, is I think after December of this year, so just a few months after I go live, all the costs are no longer uh, um, capital costs and become operating costs and so while we have actually been really um, successful in um, uh, lowering the total cost on the capital side some of that we're going to see creep into the uh, a little bit in the capital side before the end of the year but we're still below budget but some of it into the expense side once we go live uh, and on a sort of go forward basis there the good news is at this point we still forecast that we will uh, uh, stay under budget, uh, but significantly less under budget than we are now. So, you know, right now we're somewhere around 26 to $27 million below the budget. So we expect that those costs will catch up, and some of them will be uh, uh, operating um, on the operating side than the capital side. Uh, um, but that will, the total project and total uh, budget that we approve will still go fast. Okay. So, like, can you just put your microphone a little bit closer? So yes. Can you speak up on the hard button hearing you? Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, I'll just repeat that quickly then for, for folks behind me. Um, what I'll share with the board is that uh, our total costs for the project are still well below budget. Uh, as we go live next year, some of the savings that we've uh, enjoyed uh, will actually shift as the project operates. So we'll see more uh, expenses on the operating side of our budget than the capital side of the budget. But it still stays within the total cost. Yeah, but I, I, I want to make it clear that uh, all this was assumed Correct. in projections that we did related to EPIC. 
what has changed is really uh, a hit against revenue. Um, oh, yes. Right. In yes. terms of the you know, negative uh, EBITDA amount here, that's how we get there. It's not because uh, something's gone wrong in the EPIC uh, absolutely process. This absolutely. capitalization to operations was assumed. Yes. It's there. The problem is we're taking a hit on several fronts on the revenue side. Right. The proportions in terms of what's capital versus operating is what's shifting, but the total amount is not. It's still actually been It was still, it's still held decline, but it, it penciled. And now we have a new reality when we look at uh, revenue assumptions. Correct. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, the supplementals, uh, in terms of uh, at the time we had a, uh, a high probability that some of the additional uh, supplemental programs we're putting in place were going to offset the anticipated cut that we were having in Prime and GDP, and that is, has decreased and is uh, uh, pretending to decrease you know, a little bit more in terms of uh, the GME program, the EPP, and QIP. Uh, sorry about all the acronyms, uh, but, but that's what's happening on supplemental side and then the uh, forecast on the, uh, uh, the patient services side as well is uh, less, um, uh, less than what we had forecasted a year plus ago. I just want to make sure we Thank you. get that context. Yeah. Thank you. Let's jump back in uh, to the loan forecast. So We've already foreshadowed what we're looking at here. So, um, so without changes going forward, um, you know, the supplemental revenues continue to be um, lower, and you know, our costs will have some cost increases due to inflationary factors. Um, and so, as you can see, the EBITDA margin actually um, is at zero, maybe just slightly in the negative on the forecast. And so, we're working toward. Um, closing the gap through our budget conversations, but it is um, work that we'll need to continue to do to to get a more positive position. We're going to have a more extensive conversation with yeah. MSB and at the board retreat. So, exactly. um, can you remind us what that um, even amount was last month in the rolling forecast? I seem to remember um, close to zero and now we're... Yeah, I was thinking it, it was zero and, and now we're at negative point six. six. Yes. And that's... As the additional months pass, basically uh, October is when the new federal fiscal year begins. Uh, I keep mixing that. Is it October or November? October 1st. I think it's October, yeah. Right. Uh, that's when the big cliff happens for us with the dish cuts. Uh, um, and um, so that's a big uh, component of it. And then the other changes to the waiver. And so that's when uh, the yeah. supplemental side uh, compounds with what's happening on the net patient services side. Though. So is it safe to assume that, that through the budgeting process, the full impact of the decreases are experienced and they may even look worse than this. Absolutely. And you'll see that when we give you the forecast of where the budget is. So, so right now we're at negative uh, uh, maybe six or no, point six, I mean, uh, I think overall, in absence of the work that we've been doing over the course of the budget to, to bring it up, we had initially dropped down to a negative, was it 7.8 or something like that? So <laughs> it, it, it just in absence of doing anything. And then factoring in 
as we looked at uh, expense management activities that have happened this year that we expect to continue into next year, as well as budget conversations that we have been where we're gradually closing that. We had originally set a budget target over the subsequent years and prior year for this year to be at 3.8. Uh, which is lower than the 4.6 that we have for this right. year. Uh, when we set out the budget for the entire the entire organization, we realized that trying to achieve a positive 3.8 from a negative, oh sorry, 2.8 from a negative 7% was was uh, uh, virtually unrealistic. Well, it was unrealistic. We sent out a target of 1.4. Four six, I think it was, uh, and we're not at that target. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, just remember, this is a rolling work. Mm -hmm. So as as you know, last month it was different because you know you were you were seeing the month of January yeah, it was yeah. 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 So as as these more favorable months fall off, that number will change. Exactly. So we're expecting the reality that we're anticipating. So that's why you're seeing that difference there. So it went from zero to zero point six because January fell off and now you're introducing the following year to yeah. January. So that's that's what's what's driving this is the nature of it being a rolling forecast. Um, just a, a, I guess a process question. Uh, does the general public have access to these board packet yes. reports? I thought they did, but how would they find them? Uh, uh, they go on to our, um, internet, our internet page and they go under, I think it's leadership or government, say that to the board. Yeah. Actually, actually, there's a link on the home page. There's a link on the home page. Yes, that's actually a requirement that we, uh, of uh, state law, and so we do that now. So you go onto the, the home page, there's actually a link on the home page that takes you directly to the board agendas. And then you can go to the finance committee. Well, you yeah, well, actually, yeah, or we'll give you this. Uh, and actually, network members of the public who brought to me material from the board members. Uh, so, yes. Uh, Good. Not only is it accessible, people do access it. We uh, value transparency. By the way, um, this afternoon, because when I'm at my desk, I actually go in that way because it's bigger on my screen. Mm -hmm. um, the updated PowerPoints that you're giving were, in, were on the public site, but they're not in our board effect. That's because um, when Nancy and I transitioned, she didn't share that I needed to have the PowerPoint oh. done by Friday. So when they tracked me down and said, where is it? I went, well, that was my Sunday afternoon project, oh, so, so I apologize. But next month, I know the deadline, so I'll make sure I meet it. Okay. Well, we all good. I think we erred on the right side. The public had access before we did. That's, good. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I just want to make that point because I know certain people here today um, from the public and other stakeholders, and I, I just uh, I think we're at a pivotal, very, very important moment in our uh, systems. Uh, life uh, and around uh, viability, financial viability, and uh, all this is public information. When we use the word EBITDA, for example, that's the money that, uh, that that's the percentage of dollars that are available after all the bills are paid. Correct. And you know, any you always want a little money in your checkbook, so that would be the money that's left in your checkbook. Um, and so you can't have a negative. EBITDA number. Um, this rolling forecast shows one. And when we prepare the budget, uh, we're going to have to look at uh, options, some of them probably difficult, to get us at a positive EBITDA number versus a negative one. So that's what's going on. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you, uh, Trustee Chief Warner. And uh, actually, I want to thank uh, the, the members who have, uh, of, of the community who have come here to, uh, we, as you know, we've been doing a lot of internal stakeholder engagement around some of the challenges and, and partnering with them to uh, try to address some of them. Uh, but we also want our labor partners and others to uh, have a, a similar context in terms of the totality of the picture uh, that we are facing as a board and as a leadership as possible. So I'm appreciative that they're here to hear this and I appreciate you laying the context out for me. And those pro in that process, um, we're talking a little bit more about budget and, and so forth. Correct. As I, my mind gets older, I need to ask questions when they come up. Um, that's a feedback loop, right? Uh, sort of uh, stakeholder staff, uh, our primary resource within the system has suggestions for cost savings or mm -hmm. revenue enhancement. Mm -hmm. That's a, that process is a, a good opportunity for people to participate. The entirety of the process, that's correct. The budgeting process itself allows for the feedback between uh, sort of uh, department and unit leaders and their staff that then come up to the leadership level and we're looking at it on a higher or more aggregate uh, fashion where there's a feedback at that level as well and there is a more direct, uh, direct feedback between the leadership and the staff when we talk to them uh, directly about this, so sort of enforcing the message, but also offering different uh, notes uh, where it's an, uh, a bi-directional conversation. We educate on what we have, but we have Q&A uh, that offers an opportunity for people to delve into this, offer ideas, and they've been doing that in some context. The other means, of course, is public comment. Which and public comment, that's right. At the committee level and also at the Board of Trustees General Meeting. Okay, so... Um, Anything else about this rolling forecast? It is um, sort of alarming. Yep. Okay. I guess to get this group quiet uh, takes a lot. You've, you've succeeded. I know. What is that about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's been giving this a serious instead of one. This was my last slide for this okay. presentation. Great. Well, thank you. We get back to the agenda then. Thank you, Ann. You're welcome. Thank you, job for your first report out. All right. And now we'll go to our COO, Luis Monseca. Uh, and we'll start with uh, your general operating. Report operations. I, I I will, and I think uh, certainly. I mean, you know, I, it, it, it was posted on on your packets. Uh, I would certainly be happy to answer any questions you have. The only things I wanted to highlight was, and a phenomenal job of of, uh, of capturing some of those key variances that I wanted to highlight in in the operations report, which is driving you know some of the expense variances. But um, to, to further clarify what what, what Anne was ex explaining around. Our transition, if you recall, we transitioned from our primary pharmaceutical supplier from Cardinal to McKesson, which was approved by our Board of Trustees a couple months ago. Mm -hmm. As part of that transition, one of the things that we have to go through is, is uh, the, the accumulations of you purchase drugs. Uh, before you're able to purchase drugs under 340B or, or GPO, the group purchasing order, you have to have certain accumulations at wholesale acquisition cost. So that's the WAC, and then you go into GP, uh, GPO or 340B. And so that's the transition that we're going through in a lot of these areas. And so we're, we're just capturing that, but it, we're, we're, that levels off at the end as you're starting to realize those significant savings under those two programs uh, throughout the year. So again, overall savings as presented when that transition was, uh, was uh, 
and their contact was presented. Um, you know, that all materializes, but that's what we're expecting to see here uh, in the early part of the transition of that process. And then we've also had some very complex cases that, you know, require some very specialty uh, drugs, and, and those items are extremely, extremely expensive. And so our pharmaceutical team uh, is working very closely with our physicians to identify alternative, you know, treatments and alternative medications that we can use to go ahead and uh, appropriately care for our patients. And so, but, you know, in some cases it is what it is, and we work through that to make sure that we're providing the best care possible for those patients. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to mention was uh, regarding behavioral health. As you can see in, in, uh, in the reports, you know, we're continuing to see high volumes in our behavioral health. I will say that uh, I was reviewing the report this morning, and in the last, uh, when I look at the fiscal year to date, in the first six months of the fiscal year, July through December, we've had more census holds from January through the end of March than we did the entire first half of the year. And that's driven by the fact that we're starting to see a significant increase in ambulance and walk-in traffic to John George with higher acuity patients visiting the facility. So it's impacting, obviously, the length of stay in the PES as well as the uh, inpatient length of stay. So they're seeing very strong volumes. Um, just to give you an example, which has an uh, effect, and as you saw in the report, they were for the first time in the year, their staffing levels were slightly above budget. Uh, and, and again, great management in the staff. But for example, uh, last week, two days of the week, the, because of the acuity of those patients, we had 18 one-to-one -one patients in the facility on a census of 69. So that's you know, one-third of those patients requiring one-to-one uh, -one coverage that really has an impact on your staffing matrices. And so I wanted to point that out that, you know, as we've been communicating this, I'm not sure if any of you are part of QPSC, but we've been having a lot of discussion about this at QPSC uh, with Dr. Bouquet and the rest of the committee. Um, John George is, it, we're seeing a significant shift and, and really the, the, the population that, uh, that we're serving and the patients that we're seeing and the higher acuity. I know that, uh, I know Trustee Peterson also spent some time with uh, Karen, right? And I know you have a tremendous amount of background and experience in behavioral health, but so it, it's just something that we're, we're closely monitoring and we're managing that, uh, that environment. Kudos to the staff. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of visits from different regulatory agencies and, and uh, they continue to demonstrate the amazing work that they do, but it's it's very, very challenging at their sorts reflected obviously in, in their uh, the monthly performance. But again, kudos to the staff for, for really managing that effectively and appropriately as necessary. Yeah, I had a question about the ambulatory. So is that uh, is this something to uh, so uh, about the volumes? Mm -hmm. Is that with all of the redesign and things that were happening and streamlining? What are you know? What are some of the reasons that um, they are consistently accepting for one facility so much lower than the budgeted uh, volume? Absolutely, and, and that's a great question. I appreciate you bringing that up. I, you know, this has been a, a lot of conversation we've been having with our ambulatory leadership, Dr. Bavaria and Catherine Warner. Some of it, I have to say, has to do with recruitment and, and the physician uh, coverage. So we do have several vacancies uh, in, in our primary care clinics that we're, we're working to fill, uh, and so we've had some challenges doing that. Equally, uh, and similarly, we've had some challenges in the recruitment of some of our specialty providers uh, at those clinics. And so, although we are uh, focusing and working very hard to, to meet and close the gap that currently exists in primary care, 
uh, specialty care will and will continue to be a challenge for us and, and, and will certainly not meet target for this year, um, largely driven by, uh, again, some of these provider uh, vacancies that we've had that we've been unable to, to, to fill and, and support for those. We had planned aggressive growth in certain areas or, you know, specialty visits in some of our clinics, and we've been unable to, to bring those providers in. And although we, we, in our budgeting and planning process, we, we you know, we, we planned for a ramp-up period, recognizing that things weren't going to happen July 1, but it's just proven to be that much more difficult, and they've been challenged with bringing in uh, those providers. So I know that Dr. Jamaluddin is working very closely with uh, you know our, our chairs of the departments and leveraging other alternatives. We, they, they've been having meetings with UCSF to see how we can uh, support uh, bringing in providers, specifically, for example, for dermatology and other areas. And so, um, you know, that that's ongoing work, but uh, it, it does have an impact, obviously, on on our performance related to uh, our, our budget. What I would want to make a point, which I, I as we show here, uh, we are outperforming last year. So although we're not meeting budget, uh, we are outperforming last year. So so again, you know, it speaks to the, the forecasted and projected growth. Uh, we're not meeting that as compared to budget, but we are seeing more patients than we saw last year. So to your point, as far as all the great work that's been happening with the template redesigns, with you know the standard work across all of our clinics, the scheduling practices, the no-show rate management, all those things are still being handled. We're seeing improvements, but it's not to the point where we're reaching or meeting our budget targets. Thank you. That's right. Any other questions on that? Those are the few things I wanted to highlight uh, specific to the report. Uh, I would just note that the Bay Area Council did a report on homelessness in California and Bay in particular, and one of the notable findings was the acuity of the homeless population in the Bay Area is much higher than almost any other community in the country. Uh, I think in New York was the exception. Uh, those, of, of, those of us who work in this uh, can attest to that, um, and I think it sort of might be an indication of why we're seeing such acuity at John George. We have a lot of unmet need in the behavioral health care uh, space and a lack of um, alternatives like housing and crisis resi residential. Um, so I, I make that point to you. Do you have any, any thoughts about the impact of sort of mid-range, low-impact uh, alternatives for discharge and how that's impacting uh, behavioral health care at John George? It is. It's having a significant impact. I mean, when you're looking at it and leveraging, you know, using the, the, the official terminology, they have mild to moderate and moderate to severe. And so what we're, when you're looking at that mild to moderate population, that's, it, again, has a direct impact on our ability to disposition patients from the inpatient care setting, right? So after we provided tri treatment and interventions, trying to get them to a continuum of care uh, makes it very challenging. So, I mean, there's limited resources. I can say that uh, that Dr. Tribble is is completely immersed and engaged, working closely with behavioral health care services, looking at multiple options and, and seeing how we can further collaborate and partner to, to support that patient population. We've engaged in a couple of contracts where we've actually, uh, we've contracted beds with uh, uh, a couple of entities that allow us to then disposition the patients from John George to these beds, uh, you know, freeing up capacity for, for patients that are waiting in the, in the psychiatric emergency 
uh, room. So, so again, it, it, it's a challenge. It, it, but it, I mean, the reality is, and I think the, the short answer is that there's, there's a shortage everywhere. Uh, even the county is struggling with, with you know, meeting that demand. And so everyone everyone is impacted at all the different sites. I know that even some of the, the private uh, site facilities are, are also being heavily impacted by that. So, Okay, thank you. Uh, did you want to move on to sure. uh, the second portion of your report here? Absolutely. Which is the property and lease review? Yes, sir. Process. This is a long... Yes, sir. So this this was something that we were going to present last month. Uh, I'm going to actually ask uh, Baljeet to, to join me here. Um, Before we go into that, I just want to note that I uh, took the prerogative as the chair to make this a two-hour meeting, which I think represents what, what's happened in the last four meetings. So, so just uh, if you didn't know that when you were reading your packet. So, <laughs> so well, uh, uh, you know, very healthy and, 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 and strong conversation, right? Uh, the discussion is important. So this was something that we couldn't get to last month. Uh, and, and last month, I think we had very little flexibility because there was a following meeting, committee meeting after the, the finance. So um, this we decided to postpone to this month. We still think, you know, we, we thought this was an extremely important topic. We've talked about uh, what is our current state. We've talked about several of our uh, facilities, uh, that, you know, and, and so this is the intent here with this with this presentation it was to give you a, a snapshot at a high level of kind of the framework of, of how we exist as an organization, what we own, what we don't own, what we lease, what we don't, um, and and kind of a, the state of readiness of each one of them for seismic compliance. You know, some of the key uh, conditions as it relates to parking and services and things of that nature. So again, not. Not comprehensive or inclusive, but it's certainly a high-level overview of where we're at. And so we'll go through it relatively quickly because you've had it in your packet. Uh, uh, Belgi will highlight some of the key conditions, but I do want to spend some time in talking about uh, Park Bridge, which is something we had I had mentioned some time ago, and so I have some very specific, you know, uh, issues that I identified in, in, in the slides. And then we, we want to talk about some next steps where we love some direction from you all and how we want to continue to proceed and manage this aspect of it. So, uh, Belgi. Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, good afternoon, good evening, rather, trustees. So that was a great tee up by Louise, so we'll just jump right into it. This is just a visual overview of kind of our footprint in, in Alameda County as a far south county as we go and, and upwards of, upwards of uh, north. Um, so this slide just highlights, as Louise had mentioned, we're going to just highlight a couple salient points on each slide, not go line by line, but this slide represents our core facilities, Highland, Fairmont, John George. So our core facilities, all three, we pay a collective $1 a year rent uh, back to the county for inhabiting these spaces. Um, one thing I would call out here is, uh, you've seen right there that there is a master lease pending. So in 1998, there was an agreement uh, when, when Al at the time, Alameda County Medical Center separated under the designation of the authority. And so within that agreement, there is a, um, a section that is titled Review of the Lease Clause, which allows for us uh, to five years after the uh, initiation of that agreement, and five years, every five years thereafter, either party can request an opportunity to go in and review and renegotiate different aspects of the lease. So what we do, I, I do know we have a version of, uh, of a lease pending, a review lease that has been kind of kicking around for, I want to say at least a couple of years, because I've been here for a couple of years, but I think it's been here a little while, it's been around for a while. So we'll get, when we get to the final slide here, it's something that we have a specific ask and request on how to kind of advance that. But in case you're wondering, do we not have an agreement? We do, but there is also a version to 
truly like a passion. If, if I can expand on that a little bit, I want to say that. So this is this is part of the conversation that we've been, uh, Delvecchio and I uh, personally have been having uh, with with our county partners and in discussions around updating this master agreement. Uh, the, the current agreement, uh, you know, it has various amendments and, and extremely you know old language. And so part of this process was really around the whole capital reimbursement planning that was being done and that that agreement that came into place here recently. Part of this also master agreement was to, to, to complete and officially transfer the assets as it relates to the equipment and those things that were part of this HCP here and the ACT as part of the transition over uh, and occupying and operation, operationalizing those spaces. So, so again, this is something that there's been a lot of dialogue. Uh, it, it maybe is something that that is uh, low priority uh, in, in the grand scheme of things, but it is something that's still outstanding, is pending, and it really does have uh, a material impact, specifically when we start talking about uh, this most recent agreement around the capital reimbursement and how we're looking at reinvesting some of these dollars into supporting these core facilities that our county owns. So. Cool. And uh, the only other piece on here I want to highlight is the size and structural compliance at, at Fairmont, but it was alluded to earlier uh, in, in the meeting here that Building H is not structurally compliant, but later this year we will be um, having a, an exciting celebration as we kick off the new unit over at San Leandro. Mm -hmm. uh, on that, I'm sorry. Yeah. Can I jump in? It's against the rules, I know. So that, you know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, what <laughs> The space we're freeing up in Fairmont, when we move folks over, will, will we be able to, yeah, can we use that for throughput, for, for respite beds um, quickly, or is that going to be a long, drawn-out, awful process? So, yeah, yeah, let me, let me get to, take a step here. So, uh, what, I, what I can say is that um, uh, there, there has been some, uh, quite a bit of discussion. I, I, I still think that there are some opportunities, and I think, you know, and, and my final slide is really looking for some, you know, strategic direction on how we want to manage these things. But I do know that there's, there's explicit interest from the county, uh, who has already, you know, talked about and toured uh, those those buildings. Uh, as you're aware, that you know, there's uh, a new parking, homeless parking, right up the street from John George, and then there's some other, you know, work that that is being evaluated out at the Fairmont campus itself. Uh, right next to, uh, adjacent to John George and, and some of the other county buildings that exist in that campus. So, so there's already a lot of, of, of discussion, visibility, and lots of ideas that are floating around. I do agree with you that there is a tremendous need uh, that supports you know, the continuum of care and, and the care delivery that, that we perform here and, you know, that would certainly support um, and address some of the challenges that we have related to safe disposition of patients. And so there's a lot of discussion uh, that, that's happening in many different areas, um, none of them collective at this point, none of them coordinated or, or scheduled, but that's kind of where we're at at, at, at this point. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, we're, we're respecting the county's position as the owner of the facility, obviously, and uh, um, it's best we can tell from the discussions there are any number of uh, ideas for how the space could be repurposed uh, post uh, um, uh, transition. Some of which you know we have put on the table. Some of which we understand uh, have at least been in the uh, discussions, but no, no. Um, concerted or targeted effort to, to have a intentional conversation around what that would actually become at this point. So, uh, to Lewis's point, there would, yeah, I think, be a, there's certainly a role that you all can play in helping to uh, frame those discussions. I think we, I think we should now. I, mean, I just, I, we, I, 
Let's be blunt. Um, we saw a presentation a couple months ago about throughput, and I think it was 121 patients cost us $35 million because they sit in hospital beds and we're paying that full rate um, because they don't have anywhere else to go. And so it seems to me that that would be a really high priority is to get those people into a respite bed um, for whatever length of time uh, so that we can have our, our, our doctors providing healthcare to those who need to come into our hospital. And so like, I have to imagine that would help our budget gap. Uh, possibly, I mean, there's a number of conversations. We don't we don't operate respite beds right now, so there'd be conversations around who would operate it. Uh, um, and uh, if we were doing it ourselves, as a ramp up, and there's some costs associated with that, uh, there may be some savings also associated with that. Uh, whatever sort of enhancements or adjustments we need to make to the space to accommodate that. Uh, but again, just uh, working with uh, um, uh, the county to do that. So I, I would say you could. If you wanted us to put together or to sort of explore what something like that might look like and then help us to uh, uh, advance that type of a conversation, uh, I think it would probably be better for us to know that that's something that's worth exploring, that we would have the ability to do so before we invested the time and effort in doing it. And that's really more of a, a I think, more of a political conversation that we, we need some direction from you and the county on. So I, I sense there is interest in this a question a way to sort of gauge this is there seems to be a lot more questions coming up around discharge mm -hmm. and our ability to have throughput mm -hmm. and uh so i would uh, you know it's not an agenda item here but i think uh, clearly you've heard yeah, but you said this facility is well i mean it's not an action item oh, so check. can't take a vote on it so I, I guess for me the question is Independent, independent of who operates it, okay? Sure. Uh, that there's a need for respite beds, mm -hmm. right? And that we should be lobbying for more for, for more beds because it. Am I mistaken in my assumption that if we had places to place people, we could generate more revenues in our existing programs? I, I don't think that's an incorrect assumption, particularly given the level of demand that we currently have. Right. And then we'll be, we'll, you know, in the ER, for instance, I know part of, part of our issue is we have a lot of homeless people there that are there for significant periods of time, mm -hmm. and, that, and we're not able to use our ER beds for people who really need that. Level. That's correct. That's yeah, a big part of the, the I mean, our ED numbers are down across the county, including us, uh, but our numbers, uh, one of the factors that contributes to our numbers being down is there is often a, a significant number of our ED beds that are uh, filled with patients awaiting admission or some other sort of disposition that is not readily available. And then I know in, in the instance of, just from, yeah. in the instance of when we were talking about John George, that the, a number of the beds that they used to have access to, they no longer have access to in terms of discharge resources. Uh, in the community? Yeah, yes. Yes, that's yeah, and, and the 14-bed step-down unit that was located at the adjacent facility that's no longer available to That is correct. I mean, a big portion of what's happening across the county, too, is uh, when in January with the implementation of the, uh, uh, the law around uh, uh, disposition of homeless patients, right. um, uh, we had always been doing uh, kind of a comprehensive sort of uh, effort to place patients to make sure they have, you know, uh, uh, a healthy meal and uh, 
and other sorts of resources to help them. Um, and so it's not a big change in practice for us, but it is for a larger portion of the uh, delivery community. And there's no uh, increase uh, uh, access or amount of resources available. So now you probably, you, I, my hypothesis, you have a lot more people trying to do the right thing with the same pool of resources, which now impacts our ability to do even what we were doing before with some degree of success. I sometimes uh, think about it like an airport. So if all your planes are on the ground, no more planes can get in and you can't provide services to the right. airport. Right. So I think it would be helpful to understand, um, you know, what I, I know we have to some of the stats on average length of stay and when it's longer than we anticipated, but it's hard to correlate that to what the revenue loss is, like when the payer stops paying essentially for those days, like what is the actual loss there so that we could help quantify sort of what a resource like this could, could help us with. And then on the flip side of that would be what is the revenue potential around having a respite center, whether we operate it or someone else operates it. But um, because, because we're not... Always, um, sort of, the patient doesn't really require the medical care that's sort of a little bit outside of our scope. So this would be something new that we added on that I think would need to be analyzed in terms of often loss in addition to sort of what it could help us save on the from the inpatient side. Yeah, so I think I mean, it's it's certainly something we can look into. I think we probably need some external uh, uh, assistance with the respite side because again, it's not a business we're in personally uh, or at all. Uh, and so, you know, whether we engage in a study that uh, both looks at the, uh, the, the expense reduction piece from admin days or denied days, which we could actually pull and show as a demonstration of if we were able to get full rates for those services provided there um, uh, as a hypothesis, and then what happens on the other side in terms of cost increase or reimbursement potential from that side. Um, uh, I would be more than happy to, to look into doing such a study uh, and bringing it to you. I think it's still, just so we're clear, uh, hinges on um, there being some um, uh, agreement on the part of the owners of the space, which is, this is a county, that hey, this is something that they want to do. We're paying a dollar a month for that. Yeah, a whole dollar. I don't know. To be clear, you see a dollar for all three spaces. Yeah, so we can't right? A year, actually, not a month. Oh, yeah, a year, sorry. So we're paying good. If we have it, so and I want to make sure I understand, those beds will become available, or that space will become available in about eight months, right? In January. That's correct. Eight months that. Right. And so it feels like we need to be planning this now. Like we, there's, there's been, and when you talk about studies, like I don't want to have an ambiguous conversation. What I want to know is how many respite beds can be provided in that space based on the total square footage and the room configuration. Um, what that would, how that would impact our throughput and our revenues. And our, well, I mean, this is the finance committee, but this is not really about serving patients, right? Yeah. It's about being able to serve more patients. It's about our, our doctors and our nurses feeling like, yo, I can see more patients because this guy has been taken care of over here now. Like, it, 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 we have this data. We have, so, and we have the data on the facility. I think we need to come up with a quick and dirty um, analysis, not a long study of 
this is what it could save us. This is what, how we could improve access to care, um, and then and show it to the county like soon, so we can start making plans now. We can talk to providers, talk to organizations that could run a facility like that. Um, I, I just, know, I, you know, I, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I have yeah. just a little variation on that. Sure. So if you imagine as a step number one. If you said, if we had all the appropriate exit resources, what would, based on the administrative days that we have now and the lost revenues that we have, what would what would the, what would our finances look like if we didn't if we didn't have if we have places to place place everybody okay appropriately okay so that's step number one and I bet and that it's going to be a, a tremendous increase in revenues that's just my gut feeling okay and then the second question is how much of that need can be uh, met with programs like this with the option of programs like this again independent of who provides it just looking at it globally is kind of the first step yeah. and, I th and I, I really think it would fall into part of the crisis we're looking at now absolutely. financially absolutely the crisis both of health and finance yeah I, I would just make it more complicated because I like, like doing that. I, I think we'll review the, the, the transcript of this because it will need to be. Yes, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think we, we need to be careful about finding a system-only approach on this because the, 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 the folks that uh, we're talking about are, um, quite frankly, the responsibility of the community. This, this is about community benefit um, and we have county uh, responsibility we have uh, city cities have a role in this mm -hmm. uh, and they have skin in the game that dramatically impacts uh, cities and how they respond to issues like homelessness so I, I think uh, I think the process uh, should involve some assessment of what's possible with partnership mm -hmm. and uh, other investment because I, I'm not as optimistic uh, uh, as you are quite frankly about the, the savings because when you push through uh, alternatives often it's really hard to capture dollars and I just have a hunch that that's where we might end up uh, yeah I, I guess just interrupt you. Yeah. the only thing is if, if, if you take an administrative day you know that's where somebody's in an inappropriate setting okay and there's no place to place them so you get charged an administrative day and you convert that to uh, a filled bed, you know, an acute care bed, you really can measure the revenue. Yeah, so there's, there, but the point is that there's a, you know, what do you do after respite care, for example? Yeah. So we're going to have people move to respite care and then the bed's going to be over there and there's, there's no way so We have a housing crisis in the, yes. in the Bay Area uh, and we have to think longer term. We can't just build the next. Uh, Landing spot. Next landing spot, and then we're going to be in this conversation after that. So the planning should really uh, assume that we have to have uh, yeah, other folks in the conversation. I'm sorry, you guys are experts on this. When somebody is stabilized and in, in respite, it's much, much easier to get them on a path to housing than if they're discharged from the hospital. Back okay. to Absolutely, but if you don't have the housing uh, route, 
to the respite, then where are you sending people once they're stabilized? Uh, right. And I think it's really also, you know, that's why I was mentioning a little outside of our scope in yeah, that. Yeah, so who, yeah. who is actually accountable for this issue? And it's a multi-sectoral kind of mm -hmm. issue. And so I think we don't want to be left holding yet another bag, a new bag, you know, around this around. Um, around the situation. So I think um, that, I, that the fact that this is already built out as a, as a hospital facility and we are no longer structurally compliant for the level that it's at, that a, that a reduced level would be, would be appropriate, correct? Mm -hmm. We're not going to run into a seismic structural problem for the rest of the five years that we know under 10 years. Never mind. Unless it allows to me. Right. But just to be clear, I don't think yeah. Trustee Evelyn and I are saying this isn't worth exploring. It's, you know, I, I've been working with the homeless issue all my professional life, and quite frankly, it's just a whole lot of half decisions we've made over the years. So all I'm saying is, let's figure out where, uh, where the throughput is all the way through, and the partners necessary to make that work. So it doesn't, it doesn't have to slow us down. It doesn't have, it's, it's just acknowledgement right at the beginning mm -hmm. that the next challenge we have is where does someone go after they've had a period of respite? Who would be potential partners in that? The state of California started stepping up, for example. There are, there are opportunities. So. so it may be both a situation. I mean, eight months is not enough time to do all that. Partnerships are hard, collaboration right. is hard, <laughs> and this issue is hard. Um, so maybe it's in the short term, how do we address some of our own immediate needs? I mean, we just heard the one about John George. Um, we hear the ones about throughput. So just the short term piece of, you know, how do we actually, you know, address our own need as a system, as mm -hmm. a step one. Mm -hmm. And the step two of how are we really um, able to partner across sectors to, to to hopefully be able to implement what would be a, a longer term solution that could be more meaningful across the board. But I think so maybe those are sort of so not lighting up too much. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I think that falls in like totally in line with the conversations we've been having with the uh, county that we need to come together and think about like the bigger picture of the scan of where the gaps are, where that is so that would also be fall nicely into the joint uh, thing that we could be thinking of. So we're about probably 10% of the water hijacked it. Sorry. Do you want to make a last? Yeah, I'm just going to approach to have more than conversations. I just think that we have conversations for far too long before we propose a concrete idea. And I think at this point, we've been hearing about throughput, we've been hearing about this need for patients about admin days for a long time. We know we have a facility that's going to be empty in eight months. We really should create a, a concrete, you know, white paper proposal to the county that doesn't have all the partners identified, that doesn't have permanent housing identified, yeah. that does have a, a, a really good use identified for this for this parcel. Fair enough. And, and have that within, you know, a month. Don't kill the possible with the perfect. Exactly. It's got to be something. Mm -hmm. I think we should, we should go so far as to pull that together 
to package it and give it to yeah. give it to someone for its consideration? Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yes. So we have a straw vote. So I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, just to be clear, you know, we, uh, as I, uh, what I hope you are is, is it's not we, it's not been a reluctance on our part to explore the idea further. Right. It's been a sense of how far can we go if we have no clarity or commitment that if we were to invest the time and energy, and it's not just our own, it'll be dollars too, because the likelihood is we'll have to bring somebody in to do this, and these are not costs that we budgeted. We go this far, and then someone says to us, thank you, that's pretty, uh, we're not doing the thing with that. And, and I, I think the focus should be both on John George and the ER. Okay. And, yeah. I mean, what, we, what we've heard when we walk through the ER is uh, give us more beds or give us access to more services. We've got people that are waiting in the waiting room that we can't serve because we've got other people inappropriately filling up the beds. So we will, we will work on getting a, 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 an expert resource in to help us to... Yeah, again, it doesn't have to be a 20-page document. This can be a real simple start and then do the temperature check, but they keep uh, well, I, I'm sorry, I want to push back a little bit that a, a five-page document will not be, it, it, all it's going to lead to is a bunch of questions that we will have to answer, which means that we have to go further. So I, I'll try to strike the balance, we'll try to strike the balance, but I, I do think that it needs to be something enough for people, if we're going to do this, uh, for people to uh, uh, chew on and that actually has enough detail for us to be able to say if this were to come to pass, we're not locking ourselves into something that uh, would just be half-baked or or create more problems that we don't need because people say Yeah, I mean, I would, I would make this observation. We're, we're about ready to, we're heading into a big financial storm. Absolutely. And, but the last thing a system like this wants to do is cower in the corner. Correct. And so this is a real opportunity to, to take a leadership stance for ourselves and for the community. Sure. Uh, and um, so that's my I think it, it absolutely is, is something with your support, and we'll, I just want to say we'll need your support in pushing this forward. It's not I'm good at being pushy. Think you have some investment here. Thank you very much. Thank you. We have some, we have some uh, commitment to get this done. Great, wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, and, and we'll, so we'll, we'll certainly, just to recap, I want to make sure, um, so I can synthesize maybe some other transcript, but I mean, so we will work on, on you know, really identifying and determining what would be uh, the opportunities that may present and that exist that will help support some of the operational challenges that we have currently today. And so I, I hear a lot of talk about respite. Uh, I will say respite is just one piece or a small component of, of the many other challenges that we have. Uh, but we'll, we'll certainly look at that. And I would just want to underscore uh, the point that Trustee Banerjee made, which is that's really where those strategic uh, meetings, you know, and, 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 and discussions with uh, our county partners, uh, you know, in those those meetings that are routinely scheduled. But, I mean, this is this would be wonderful discussions and topics that we could have. I completely agree. I think the the synergy of concerns uh, is is a complete one right now. Uh, just drive through our communities and look at what yeah. what's happening on the streets. And so I think if the leadership team sees other potential uses for this space, we used to address with this map part of it, I'm not sure what other things are being thought of, but if there are other compliant uses for the space that would help, solve us, help us solve different problems, I think we'd want to hear those as well. I think those sure. of us on the ground are seeing an obvious, like, there's no place to discharge people and, and sure. you know, also hearing the people. Well, actually, I just wanted to just make the statement because, I, again, when we look at it, I mean, we have a book, and now we know exactly what some of the challenges are. Mm -hmm. And I would say that even more, more so than respite, most of our challenges are actually dealing with skilled nursing facilities 
especially with patients that have behavioral health issues or patients that have IV, IV drug users or you know, less complex patients. We can't do that here. Yeah, we can. We can't. So that's the biggest challenge that we have. And we already need SNP and two other Exactly. And so even better. Yeah. Okay. Well, we got it. Well, that was. Well, that's not. Well, anyways, um, it culminates also to the points that the, the latter asked in the slides here. Exactly what we're talking about, which are exactly the charting the path forward, uh, and culminating with some specific asks for the strategic meetings that are, that are being held. So, with uh, with all these thoughts in mind, um, please do keep those at the forefront as you get through the rest of these slides, because the same conversation that applies to these facilities applies to the ones we're going to be reviewing. Uh, a couple of quick things just to add on to this in terms of the, um, the expectation of the time. I know we mentioned eight months and also the complexity to put together such a report. There are also formalized specific uh, requirements from OSHPA and the regulations for formally you know, closing down a building and formally opening one back up. Mm -hmm. And so um, we would also be kind of in that key along with many of the other facilities in the state that are doing the same thing. So just kind of giving a sense of what else would have to be a part of that. Uh, one thing I do want to um, reference back is if you remember the um, trustee Chaborn at the end of the last meeting, we had some public comment around some of the infrastructure concerns here at this right. campus. And so I think we're going to keep that in mind when we talk about Highland Hospital and the service wings around some uh, concern around um, how we verify and validate that, that the buildings that are not strategically, uh, sizably and strategically um, prepared for 2020 and beyond 2030, how are those buildings also being validated? So that's also baked into this piece around we look at the master lease agreement, what are the expectations between ourselves and, uh, and uh, the county, as well as when it comes to elements of defining what is um, uh, maintenance and repair versus replace. And so how do we actually come to some specific criteria? So we'll see how some of that baked into the, the subsequent slides. And it's, it's a, as you heard in the public comment last month, a really big issue for our medical staff here. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so for Sunday and the hospital, this one, um, so this is one of the um, sites in our system that we actually own, and uh, uh, San Leandro came and joined the HS family here in 2014. Uh, one thing I do want to uh, point out here is uh, the seismic structural compliance piece. And so, um, and, and I'll, I'll keep an eye out for any glazed eyes if, if it's not going to move forward, but as you know, with structural compliance, there's two components, the structural performance category, SPC, and then the non-structural performance category, uh, NPC. And so, we are sizably and structurally compliant beyond 2030 for a San Leandro Hospital, and for uh, the NPC categories, there are a couple of things that we still need to look into, but those are things along the lines of, you know, achieving an NPC-5 rating involves 72 hours of uh, fuel, water, sewage, and so just verifying that we have all those things and, and in place and stored. So I just want to make that clear that we're SPC, great, but to go SPC, we're verifying some of those elements. Alameda uh, Hospital itself um, also joined joined the fold here in 2013. Um, that is uh, governed by the JPA that we have here in the district. Uh, here, the size and structural compliance, um, we will, um, I know there's been much dialogue on this, and here in the future we'll receive some figures and numbers in terms of what will get us to become 2020 compliant, um, and with, well, rather 2022 compliant with the recent legislation to extend that, uh, but we do know that what's going to be presented forward would still um, have the glaring issue of on the 2030 compliance. The uh, medical office building here, Alameda, also it's, uh, well, it's right next door and, and on the same property line. It is a separate agreement, uh, and so that is for about $10 a year, also going by the JPA, and that's also where we have our administrative office spaces. We also have um, uh, some physician leases that are in, in that building, so some uh, physicians that see patients and have separately leased agreements with us. 
uh, the System Support Center, or actually called the SSC. We have uh, the full floor, on the, to uh, the full 12th floor, and portion of the 11th floor. Their um, co-term is here in 2027, uh, and there are different escalators. That's about 2% for the 12th floor uh, annually, and about 3% for the uh, 11th floor there. This also, just to point out, is a, is a full service lease, which means the, land, the landlord pays for all expenses associated with the property, the taxes, insurance, maintenance, and that's we see that just in the lump sum we pay for the money. Creekside Plaza, that is our... Um, I'm sorry, look, so what's the monthly payment on that? Because I didn't do the math. Oh, for the system support sign? Yeah. We have that is... Uh, I'll tell you right now. We have that as... Oh, gosh, I don't have that on the math here. Can I can I go back to one thing just for yeah, a yeah. So so with Alameda Hospital, even though it's twenty thirty when it has to meet the seismic standards, okay, my knowledge is the planning process takes five to seven years. So it's really right around the corner when the hospital's gonna have to make a a decision, right? That's correct. Yeah, um, and if memory serves me correctly, there was some language in the JPA that actually, um, uh, I guess, set a, at least a starting time for this discussion at, in 2020. In 2020. And I think those conversations have, have actually already started. There is a, a committee uh, of uh, trust of the um, uh, directors there, of which Luis, I think, sits on, or Seth Rupert, and that he sits on when they've started the conversation. I think they were stalled for this study, but um, they, they're in a position to, to continue those discussions, is what I understand. And I uh, actually took a moment to phone a friend, so 83000 uh, a month for BFL. Yeah, they're about a million. So, Creekside Plaza. I use my phone too. Oh, <laughs> 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 just phone you, my friend. Um, so, Creekside Plaza also—it's um, our, it's our uh, Sapphire headquarters, and so this actually came before this group um, here in recent memory, and so we had that for about five years. It also, is a uh, full-service lease. This slide uh, now talks about our wellness center. So, that was also about a million dollars a year. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anticipating, you know. Yeah. Here in um, our wellness center, so New York Wellness is actually one of the facilities that we own, so of our wellness centers, and uh, here at, in Hayward and Eastmont are the ones that we do actually have a, um, a lease payment for rental per month. These are uh, triple net leases, which means that we are responsible for all expenses of the property uh, in addition to the rental expense, so that's, you know, insurance, all the other fees, maintenance, and so that's our responsibility to, to maintain that. So just to clarify, uh, Hayward Wellness is at Southland, right? Correct. That is correct. Yeah, so I think it's misplaced on the map. Oh, that the uh, Eagle Eye is there, Jesse. That's, um, that, the, uh, that, that star is the, I believe, the older location. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Right. I was trying to figure out where it would be. Yeah, I was looking at the phone hanging here on, on my phone. But, uh, so, yeah. And so, our, little, our little clinic at Eastmont, yeah. Cost more per year than Creekside or Oakport. It is three fifty. That's the most of the response. It's about one point one million a year at one eighty a foot. It's much larger. Much larger. It's the largest. It's the largest. Yes, and that one is doesn't include the other costs. Right. Not triple that. That's up more. Right. Because it's fifty thousand. 
So, so the Maria, so now just kind of jumping back into to this. Uh, Maria Wallace Primary Care, five year triple net. We're um, located at the, uh, in Marina Village Parkway. Uh, so that's one of our primary care things we've expanded to recently. Yes. Similarly, uh, Korean Room Care and our Surgical Associates also here in, uh, in the island of Alameda. Uh, that's about a 10 year lease and we're, that's also triple net. South Shore, uh, we do not have a lease payment there, but that's also governed falls under our JPA. Um, and it, that's our, uh, part of our SNF portfolio here and our, our SNF, uh, SNF bed count, and it's 26 there. Park Ridge, uh, so this one is, is a little, um, it gets a little exciting. So Park Ridge is not by square foot, it is uh, by bed. So it's, uh, the rate's about a $720.38 per bed, which comes out to 86, uh, a little over 86K a month. It's also a triple net lease. And so um, it's based on 120 license beds. So now the next slide is where uh, I will ask you to bear with me, and uh, um, I will also look to my colleagues here around the room if, uh, to help clarify if I'm not getting it right. But as I walk through this, just picture having maybe three pairs of headphones that you stick in your pocket, and then you try to take them out and you're trying to untangle them. That's kind of what we're about to do. So, to start off the top, so there is a document that is called and titled the Restate Triple Net Lease Agreement. Now, this lease agreement is between two entities. The landlord in this agreement is FMA Laguna, undersigned by C. Zimmerman. The tenant in this agreement is the Waters Edge Inc., uh, signed by D. Zimmerman. Now, that's a 25-year term at about 288k of base rent. Now, within this you know, restated triple net lease agreement, uh, the, the repair and maintenance comes out to be the tenant's sole cost and expense. Now then, within that agreement, like underneath it, then there's another agreement titled a sublease. Now in the sublease, the sublessor is now Waters Edge Inc., the previous tenant, and the sublessee is the Alameda Healthcare District, uh, undersigned by uh, Elzerman and, and East Evans. Now that's a 20-year agreement with two five-year renewals, and in here, the repair maintenance is now assigned to sub-lessee, so in, the, in this case, the Alameda Healthcare District. Then within that, we have the sub-sublease. Now it's in quotation marks, mainly because officially it's titled the sublease, but for the continuity of this conversation, just want to make sure we can, we weren't referring to two things, different things by the same name. So the sub-sublease uh, exists in the universe where the JPA was signed in 2013. Now in this document, and, uh, and there are some documents that, that make reference to this sub-sublease uh, in the JPA, now in the sub-sublease, the tenant becomes Alameda Healthcare District, and so, i.e. the subtenant, and the sub-subtenant is Alameda Health System. And in this agreement, the term is 20 years uh, with two five-year renewals. And the repair and maintenance now falls to the subtenant's sole cost and expense. So as it all trickles down now, it's ours. It's ours. Uh, I could just let that, but I thought it would be much more exciting to go through this. But uh, so what I would, so I would, I would jump in here and say that. Uh, so, so again, I mean, there, 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 this is a very obviously complex uh, relationship that existed prior to the JPA was inherited by the health system under this JPA, and so we've explored many different options. We've actually engaged outside counsel to evaluate this lease due to its complexity, and uh, there's very limited options uh, at this point, unfortunately. So it's, it's in, in, in very sophisticated terms, we're kind of stuck. And so we're having to deal with that. And so this is uh, a major concern for us because I mean, we have a large patient population that we serve in this building. We have you know, a capacity of 120 skilled nursing beds there where we're out, 
on average, 116 to 118 uh, residents in the facility. We currently have a roof issue in this building. Well, because we burden that expense, uh, we have to fix this roof in order, in order to continue to care for our patients and minimize the impact to care delivery. Uh, but it's coming in at a cost of about $2.5 million. So investing $2.5 million into a building that we don't own and that the owner has really no responsibility to, to deal with that. So what I will say is that I know that Baljee, Kristen, and uh, Richard Espinoza have have really worked hard and we've engaged uh, the Zimmermans uh, to have a dialogue and to say, you know, I mean, really this is your building and how can we partner here? How can you take some ownership? And so they haven't slammed the door on us, but they haven't equally said, ah, yeah, let me write you a check. So we're still working through that because uh, we want to make sure at least we have anything. I think I'll I just ask. Uh, but we're working through that. But, you know, this is very problematic. I mean, we're spending about a million dollars a year in this rent. On top of that, having to perform any and all infrastructural issues. We recently had to fix the parking lot. We recently had to do some uh, infrastructure, main drain plumbing issues. Uh, these are things that traditionally in most leases are the building owner's responsibility. And so this was extremely poorly done uh, and, and uh, unfortunately I mean shame on the district at the time for really embarking in that type of relationship but uh, here we are and now we own it and now we have to deal with this significant expense at a time when funds are extremely challenged and limited. Can I ask a quick question? All of the terms seem excruciatingly long. Which ones are we, are we, do we take the high level one of my 2036 we undersigned and represented on that particular So for our liabilities through, through 2032, period. You know, then the zone means, uh, you know, that that's, I don't know if but it's a husband and wife uh, component there, and so they've got their different foundations, and that's how this all works. And so, okay. okay. Anyway, so so we have that. So it's going to be more of a closed session, though, know, yes. from some point of view. Yeah, I thought marijuana wasn't illegal until later. <laughs> <laughs> it was medical. It was medical marijuana. <laughs> I mean, wow. This is Cayman Islands, island stuff to me. So moving, moving on. So I can't do much here. That's Correct. And I, and I appreciate the, the opportunity to have further dialogue. Um, so key takeaways here. Bottom line, what we wanted to say and what we want to share. And I want to, you know, again, thank Valjean and the team for putting all that together with the exception of messing up the star for... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 nursing facilities, you see a lot of this, you know, pass-through lease stuff and adding stuff on and always trying to make the, you know, the tenant responsible for everything and gen generally more sophisticated tenants don't allow that to happen. But it's certainly uh, something that you see in the industry. It's common. 
but why not move our offices in there, lease their spaces out? I think what you were hearing from Bruce is we, 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 we have tried to, as much as we can, take news to conversation. Right. Um, the conversations at this point have there been missed opportunities. Like, we're in the Creekside lease now. We could probably you know, work to find a self-tenant for that purpose, but if we no, get out of it, then we're out of So what I'm saying is, let's turn it from a conversation to a formal proposal from this board that, so that they board. can consider. I think we would support this. Staff-to-staff conversations, yeah. but I think a formal proposal basically begs the question, yes or no? And they can tell us yes or no, okay. and we can have the conversation at a higher level. So I, that's what I would like to do. Okay. Um, I don't know if I have concurrence. I think maybe the answer to this is to put this on the agenda for the third board mm -hmm. yeah. to have a mm -hmm. uh, discussion, follow-up discussion on the first item of uh, feedback and then uh, this item of around the leases. I think it's, we could, I was going to say we can bring it to you as a part of the, the budget discussion for next year uh, as one of the items uh, that we're speculating, uh, but also as a separate uh, addendum to that uh, a request that you could formally consider and, yeah. and make. Right. That's a formal request. Well, I only with the concurrence from all of you, we speak as one voice. In terms of the agenda. Yeah. So it sounds like there's a... I'm, I'm in my directions. Playing with you. Yeah. It, it sounds like there's consensus here that we should do that. Well, we're welcome to put something yeah. together for your consideration. Yeah. Okay. okay, good. I'm going to. Yes, I'm sorry. I just have one question. I mean, in terms of, I think the part of the question was, are we moving towards more ownership of those leads or, you know, kind of like overall strategic direction? It sounds like we need to have further conversations about that. But I did just have a quick question about our own um, facility in San Leandro. And have we been as, I guess, aggressive as we can be in terms of thinking about the development of that property and what could be possible at that location, just in terms of even moving things that we currently have or just doing more um, um, to build in that in that space? Or did we, was it really about we gotta, we got to move some things quickly so this is what we're, we're going to do? And I'm just wondering if there's some room there. So uh, I will say that uh, I appreciate the question. Uh, we have uh, had any number of uh, unsolicited conversations, but ones in which we thought were uh, fruitful to have with um, uh, um, outside entities who have dollars that they want to invest in the healthcare space around things like, you know, do you, is there an appetite to build a, uh, uh, a cancer center or uh, a linen uh, or other sorts of services and where we might do that. But, San Diego site makes sense because it's a site that we really actually have in my hand in this space. And these are more like modular concepts that wouldn't be too uh, uh, expensive to plug and play. But, you know, modular is a lot more sophisticated than just a trigger, uh, as you know. Uh, so we've, we've thought about those uh, things. Um, we are limited at this stage in terms of uh, what we can do as any sort of uh, investing vehicle uh, because we're under the permanent agreement. Uh, we cannot uh, assume any debt without the county's approval. It doesn't say you can't do it, is, is my understanding. It just says it requires an approval and given the um, circumstances when we haven't solved it for a specific project, but I did as a trustee degrees and she can uh, in a recent discussion uh, bring up the idea of public-private partnerships for certain uh, broader needs that might actually become revenue generating or expensive uh, for us and that's not a conversation we've had before. Um, um, so 
that's as far as we've gone up to those awards to that site. Uh, obviously beyond, or, uh, with the exception of the, the rehab stuff, which you're more familiar with. And, and that we took on entirely as an organization uh, where uh, the county arts was benevolent and, uh, and uh, responsible in um, paying for the, uh, the seismic retrofitting of this campus to comply with the seismic laws. Um, I don't know all the history around how uh, everything came to pass as it relates to the acute rehab, which is subject to the same law. But it, what I do know is that they ended up in AHS uh, uh, on the 30 plus, 27 plus, or be about some million dollars to make sure that part happened at San Leandro, uh, which absent that, we would not be able to provide acute rehab services anymore. So I think it's safe to assume that uh, you'll be building this into the retreat uh, report. It's, it's one of the things that I've So it's one of the strategies Yes. Yeah. Okay. The next slide is something we own, but the access is really bad, so that's um, also a change that mm -hmm. we just need to do. That also came up uh, in our meeting with the county. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, I'm going to move us along. I'm going to make a uh, agenda recommendation here. I asked staff to um, actually report out on the Alameda Hospital SB90 project. I uh, do some very quick, yeah. And then I get, well, what I recommend though is that we um, delay our comments to the retreat on this because it's, it's, it's a, probably a much longer conversation. Excellent. So, so absolutely. So, I, and again, just uh, if this was intended to just be a brief update, uh, if you recall, uh, we were planning uh, to bring forward a guaranteed maximum price from our contractor web board uh, in this month of April. Uh, I wanted to put it in as an update because we were, um, as we've been reviewing and working closely with the contractor to evaluate that guaranteed maximum price, uh, the dollars and, and the estimated expenses for the project came in significantly higher than what we had originally planned, budgeted, and or uh, received as part of our third-party estimator that did the evaluation on the project itself. And so uh, could not in good conscience bring something to the board that, that we didn't feel comfortable with, that we didn't feel was appropriate, uh, adequate, or consistent with market rates currently. So the team has been working closely with the contractor. We've been following up with them to challenge and, and better understand uh, some of the, the reasons why the, the escalation in pricing in some areas from, a, from an earlier estimate from the same contractor, uh, the price has more than doubled. And so we wanted to kind of see what were those drivers, and we need to understand what, what, what uh, is causing that the significant variance. And so uh, more than anything, it was an update for uh, you all to know that, um, you know, this does a tremendous amount of sensitivity around, you know, the timeliness of this project and how we're looking at moving forward. And the district board uh, of Alameda Health, um, Healthcare District, uh, they, you know, they're, they're keeping a very close eye on this. And so, again, the last thing I want is for there to be a perception that we're, you know, it, you know delaying the, the project in any way. It's, it's we're just doing our fiscal responsibility and our fiduciary responsibility to make sure that we have an appropriate price and, and uh, recognizing the scope of the project, uh, especially knowing that, you know, there's, there's a significant dollar value for this project in the tune of around 20 plus million dollars, uh, which I will venture to say at this point in time, which is the discussion that I think much broader discussion that needs to happen and that we need to have right. with our trustees, and that's the fact that 20 plus million dollars that we currently don't have. 
And so, um, you know, it, it's something that we'll have to evaluate and further discuss. And so, uh, you know, I want to bring it back, uh, and we'll do that. As, as also, as it relates to this project, the other important aspect was the extension submission that was due on April 1st. That has been done. So in compliance with AB 2190, we have submitted the extension request to Oshpot. There's ongoing dialogue with Oshpot to further clarify some of the things that we submitted in that plan. Uh, so we're, we're proceeding with uh, the, 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 the project and the, you know, the, the steps that we've communicated and that we've you know, committed to doing. Uh, but I do believe that at some point a deeper discussion needs to happen around the project itself, the costs, and how we look at moving forward. Do you want to recommend doing the hour uh, that we delay that to the retreat? Well, just so we know, to, to repeat, um, we have a, a circumstance that uh, where we have a commitment to do something and we don't have the resources to necessarily, we don't necessarily have the resources to um, continue on the same path. Um, and so uh, along with all the other difficult choices in front of us around the budget, uh, I think this will be important to discuss more fully with your retreat. One, one quick question. Um, that part of the, pro the project is assuming you were to go forward with it. How does that fit into the seismic sort of thing? Is it, is it seismically safe or does it, is that just money to get us by until they decide? what to do with the hospital in terms of seismic uh, requirements. Great, that, that's a good question. So, so again, if, if you remember, there are there's two very independent uh, seismic requirements that are uh, mandated under Senate Bill 1953. Mm -hmm. And so this work is only a piece of the work that would allow us to continue to operate that facility until 2030. But there's still a much larger issue that looms, which is what's going to happen beyond 2030 and what do they need to do to ensure that the facility is fully compliant to continue to provide services beyond that time. So essentially this project allows us to, to extend the life of the facility for a few more years, but really that, that much larger work of the full retrofit of the building and, and or replacement still needs to be had, and that takes years. And so recognizing 2030 is right around the corner, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, we need to understand how that's going to play out. Yeah, and as I understand it, the 2030 work, uh, financing for that is very murky and unclear. Fair. Okay, so we're going to continue this conversation at the Board of Retreat, and uh, let's go to item three. What I'd like to do here, I, I beg the patience of those who have been here waiting to provide public comment, but I want to actually um, do this in a way that give you know, some your in the process. So I'd like to have staff provide the uh, 2020 budget update report, and then we'll go to public comment, and then we'll hear from the trustees. So back to staff. Yes, yes. In fact, um, you know, I, I totally dropped the ball here. That's <laughs> not. Um, I am send anyway here. So Dave, I just sent you an email. Would you bring that up for me, please? I meant to do that and I just got completely 
So I've got, so as, as we're preparing the slide deck here, we, I've got about six slides, just a very high level overview. But more than anything, I, I, I believe that, that the goal is to have more dialogue and less presentation. Um, so as, as we're looking at that, uh, the first couple of slides of the presentation are, are you've seen before. It speaks to the principles that we've used in developing our budget. Um, you know, we're focusing on, on, you know, we used an analysis where we were, you know, considering historical performance, historical data, doing a regression analysis to, to ensure that that accounts for and addresses the issues or the components of seasonality and fluctuations within the year. So all that has been done. Uh, we have uh, began, we've rolled out uh, the, the process of the budget. We identified where we were consistent with the target that had been established on a long-range forecast that had been presented in previous years. If you recall, as, as the vector mentioned earlier in the finance report, we had a, a target that was expected to be uh, an, an operating margin or EBITDA margin performance this fiscal year of 4.6%. As Ann mentioned, we're on target to meet that this year. For next year, the anticipation was that we were going to see a slight decline to 2.8%. Uh, when we started putting our budgets together and evaluating all the various components, where you're breaking down the budget into two major categories, revenues and expenses. And so when we're looking at both of those uh, and working through that process, revenues largely impacted by the anticipated and forecasted volumes that we're seeing. That was where the regression analysis and the historical performance comes into play, based also on market assessments and market conditions and what we're looking at and expecting to see moving forward. Um, we also uh, incorporated into the, the revenues uh, uh, calculation is the forecast for our supplementals. And as you all know, our supplementals of our total budget equate to greater than 30 to 35% of our total revenues. So of our billion dollars plus or minus, uh, we're looking at about 300 plus million, $350 million of that is dependent on supplementals. So what we identified as we were going through that process this year was that, so it's like, this is the timeline, this is our budget principles. So this is the slide that I want to get to and it speaks to that issue here. So this is not new, you've seen this slide before. So what we have is on the top you see our revenues, where we're looking at a forecast or projected in 2019 of a billion 34, uh, we're looking at budgeting a billion eight. That is largely driven by the significant impact of um, the reduction in some of our supplemental funding streams. Uh, we are in fact projecting and budgeting an increase in patient service revenue. But the supplemental aspect of the revenue is where we're seeing these reductions, and that's largely driven by uh, the anticipated um, you know, dish cuts, the, uh, the, the, the reduction in uh, Medi-Cal GME, and some of these other programs that we've talked about. And so things that we we're anticipating and forecasting to receive much more is actually materializing to say that we're going to receive much less. That's the biggest driver. Uh, as far as expenses, you can see that we have, uh, it's a billion 96. I, it goes away. Uh, the screen absorbs a lot. I'm sorry. But, uh, so when you're looking at the SAR section on expenses, you're looking at the bottom line, which is a billion 96. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. That is, again, a combination of several things. There's multiple things that are built into the, to the forecast on expenses. Recognizing that our expenses of the total billion 96, over 70, nearly 70%, slightly over 70% of that is salaries, wages, and benefits. 
So of the billion, 780 million of it is salaries, wages, and benefits. That's already incorporating some of the negotiated contract, you know, contract uh, increases and, and, and adjustments that uh, have been negotiated in previous years' contracts. And so that's already baked in and built into this projection. So that is a natural escalation that we see in our overall expenses, because when you look at current year projection, we've done a wonderful job managing our expenses, and we're right around a billion flat, 998 million a billion. So we're, we're, we're looking at that and we're saying, you know, when we start adding some of these expenses, which I will, you know, I will share, uh, and I've, I've been sharing this in some of our forums, you know, when you look at that increase that's forecasted based on the average of all the different contracts, it's about a 3.5% increase that's built into this in salaries, wages, and benefits. That equates to about almost $40 million from previous year. So it's pretty significant when you start looking at some of that. Um, so when, you're, when you start break coming down the line here, you see that we end up with an EBITDA margin of a negative 7.1 uh, based on what we have forecasted due to the decline in revenues and the increase in expenses. Some of that which is, as Delvecchio was mentioning earlier, the transition of capitalization of some of the EPIC project costs to operationalizing some of those expenses. For example, one of the biggest components of that, the largest driver for this is the training expense. Training cannot be capitalized. And so therefore, all of the training that needs to occur in preparation of go-life has to be expensed. And so that's one of the also key drivers. Again, one of which we had already anticipated and was built into our original forecast, going back and further solidifying the point that the primary driver here is a significant reduction in revenues that we were not anticipating. Mm -hmm. So we then said, okay, against our target, which is the bottom sec uh, second line, if we were to continue with the plan of uh, you know, trying to meet that 2.8% EBITDA target, it left us with a gap of about $99 million uh, negative. We then uh, took an approach uh, where our, our finance team and our, our finance budget manager, uh, Helen, she was phenomenal in, in, in the work that she's doing to help us bring this all together. She did a full assessment that we took into consideration many, many factors related to our productivity standards, focusing on some efficiencies that we're looking at in our supply management, some of the activities that we have right now going through our value analysis committees, looking at different supplies. So we took a stab at trying to see how can we tighten this up even more to make sure that we're continuing to provide services without compromising the level of care, uh, but doing it in a more effective and efficient way. The best we could do at this point, based on that initial assessment, was coming back with an adjusted target of 1.47. But even that required us to remove and, 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 and carve out $86 million from the organization. So we brought it down from 100 to 86. I, I don't understand that part. If we wanted an EBITDA of 2.8 or 28 million, and now we want an EBITDA of 1.4 or 13 million, didn't we just subtract how much extra we got? I didn't. Let me let me try and explain. I didn't I didn't understand the way you presented so, the question. So we, if we have if we have an EBITDA target of two point eight, yes, that's about twenty eight million. Correct. So it feels like having an EBITDA target of one point four seven is just moving the goalpost. It's not actually cutting any expenses. It's just saying okay. Yeah. You're right, it's, it's moving the goalpost, but informed by what is a reasonable amount of things that we feel that we can actually do mm -hmm. to actually achieve that target, but then seeing what people come in with, which would actually be significantly, that will we'll demonstrate a gap to even get to that point. 
Sure, okay. But it went from 99 to 86. <laughs> Correct. But you're saying you want to get it to 14? Well, the, the, the 86 gives us the 14. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think I think to your point, Christy, the reason what, what, what's happening, you're so you're correct. It, it is moving the goalposts, but what it was, as the like you mentioned, was we're saying we have a 99 million dollar gap to yeah. stay with the original target. What can we do, and what would be an aggressive approach, an aggressive target that we could potentially achieve? And the best we can come up with was getting us closer to that 2.8, but not quite. I see. And they got us to the 1.47. I know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So then, we, you know, just this was just to help highlight some of the things that we've been looking at and part of the budgeting process and part of the discussions that we've been having with all of our managers to review all of our different business units. We've taken and we've addressed and highlighted here some, uh, you know, some large ticket items, uh, not all inclusive, obviously, but some large ticket items that we've been focusing on that helped us close that gap and get closer to the 2.8 uh, or the 1.46, you know, revised target. So after all that effort and all the work has been, done, uh, been going on and continues, this is where we're at. So this is a revised chart. After all of our budget meetings, after discussions with our business managers, all of our strategic business units, and uh, again, they've all gone back and they've had to make some finer uh, fine-tuning and making some additional adjustments. We had uh, set a target of, again, as we had said, 80, uh, if you recall here, let me bring it back, 86 million. The best we were able to do was get us down to 78. So, uh, again, uh, this was making some some tough decisions and, and looking at our operation, but uh, in, in the hopes of even trying to close that gap to get us to 1.47, um, at this point, what we've been able to come up with is, is we've made a reduction. There's been a valiant effort and a great, you know, great work being done by our leaders and our managers to, to help close that gap and reduce that expense. We're still forecasting a $78 million deficit uh, for next year. Uh, and that's as compared to and trying to get us to that revised goalpost or a target of 1.47. So, so again, as I mentioned, this work continues. But what this means, and I think the message that we're trying to send here, and, and I'll turn it over to to Dr. Uh, uh, but uh, it, it's it's going to I mean it's going to require some additional discussions and and some very difficult decisions to be made, and so therefore uh, we've identified and we're looking to you know to all board for some some again thought, as our, as our thinking partners and some directions and thoughts about how we can move forward. Uh, so, um, just to be clear before I uh, go uh, into any of this, uh, as I shared sort of in my remarks at the last board meeting, uh, as a part of our work as, a, uh, as an organization, um, we are sensing that anything that we do beyond what we've been talking about now is, is rather problematic uh, from the staff perspective, from a provider perspective, from a leadership perspective. So uh, when this slide says options, these are not options that we are at this stage and hopefully not ever advancing to you for your consideration. We're just saying for you, to Louis's point, to Camille's point, that we don't have uh, uh, any other levers at our disposal to close the gap. The only way to close this gap is additional revenue or reduced expenses. We are doing, as you know, 
uh, as much as we can. As uh, Ann sort of pointed out, the revenue cycle is performing at a, at a pretty high performing level now. Is there more that we can do? Are there certain things around the edges we can continue to do? Is there more we think we'll be able to do when we go live on Sapphire? The answer to that is yes. Uh, but notwithstanding that, you can only collect more of what's available, and what's available is not that much more to close this gap. Beyond that, as you know, and I just came back from D.C., lobbying in on Capitol Hill, along with some of my uh, uh, colleagues, to uh, further stave off the uh, Medicaid, or sorry, the, uh, Medi yeah, the Medicaid dish cuts, yeah. which nationwide will be a $4 billion hit next right. year. For the state of California, it's about a half a billion just for next year. Escalates up to $950 million for the following year. For our Alameda Health System next year, it's about $22 million. And that's on top of any sort of potential threat that we have at a state level on 340B, uh, which continues to loom before us and is not factored in. The risk yeah. cards are factored in, the 340B. At 22 million? The 22. Uh, I have to go back and look at the exact number, but that's the number that we're collecting now and so uh, look at what the offsets was over. How uh, much did you say was for California? Uh, 500 million. Yeah, uh, this is a, a, a Calvary Hospital Association projection. Four, four billion. Four billion nationwide uh, for just next year, uh, and then it escalates from there. So, uh, yeah. So, so those are a lot of the different levers that we're trying to do at, uh, at the sort of the revenue cycle or the revenue end of the uh, uh, house, if you will, or the. Uh, the um, uh, income statement. Uh, when you get to the expense side, this is when things get very, very gnarly. Uh, I want to, as I said before, commend the staff uh, and the leadership and our providers and everyone who have really uh, done a yeoman's job this year to close what we had, which was a $27 million gap. And that was done you know, through the combination of these uh, efforts that I just outlined. $27 million versus $70 something million is a whole another bell of wax. And so this is a very uncomfortable conversation for us to have uh, internally with you as well and with our partners, but uh, uh, a conversation we have to have no less. And so uh, what we are putting forward to you, and this will go to the next slide, which we'll talk about the, uh, I don't want to leave this yet, but uh, the cycle in terms of the timeline for the budget that we laid out for you when we began this process of what comes next, but the impact is there. Um, so the options and some of them, and this is not an exhaustive list, and some of this we've started to put some uh, numbers around, but uh, in order to truly do it in terms of considering how soon you can implement it, what are the other machinations that you have to go through to, to do that, and how, so how much of a year you'd actually benefit from these things. Uh, we, we only have rough order of magnitude now. And if, if we get to the point as a board uh, that you tell us you really need to give me concrete numbers here because these are probably things you're going to have to do, then we can get you very precise numbers in terms of uh, closing the budget, uh, the gap here. But as you see, these things get uh, increasingly worse. There are a few things on here that, that aren't controversial. I mean, yeah, one could argue that eliminating all discretionary spending is not a particularly hard decision to make. Uh, that one, I think we're projecting somewhere around a, uh, about a three to four million dollar savings for the organization. It's not insignificant. It's not a lot to close a seven million dollar gap, but as a message to say we would do that before we get anything uh, that would impact people's income or impact uh, services, it's, it's an easier, comparatively easier decision to make. Uh, but then the others aren't. Uh, wage freezes, benefits restructuring, uh, uh, for example, uh, uh, or increasing or implementing, I should say, implementing a share cost for our workforce for our, um, our internal health plan, which uh, right now isn't uh, 
uh, there isn't a cost for a workforce. Not uncommon across the market that people have some. We've been fortunate here that we haven't been able to do or had to do that up till now, and that's been a benefit we can pass along to our, our workforce. Uh, furloughs at the administrative level. Uh, we, you may recall, uh, in the last fiscal year, did uh, some of this for the remaining um, sort of three or four months where we had uh, a, a gap to close. Uh, we didn't fully close that gap. Can you clarify? Because I, I got this from HR last night. Clarify for my colleagues that furloughs aren't of staff providing medical services because those positions just have to be back to so That's correct. Right. That's correct. And that's what we put. Uh, <coughs> um, um, uh, correct. So that's and, and that's what we're looking at now. Uh, continued efforts to standardize staffing. That's kind of a lot of the stuff that we did uh, this year in terms of like rebidding of shifts and roles across clinical and non-clinical roles. Obviously, you will recall that that has not been a uh, an experience that has not been without uh, struggle for everybody involved, and understandably so. Uh, we didn't go so far as to contemplate uh, uh, something that uh, we really are concerned about, but uh, the Sapphire Go Live obviously has been a, a desire to, or an effort to push all of our clinical services under one system. And uh, there are some pros and cons to looking at uh, changing the scope as, as far as post acute sites go. Uh, uh, not something we wanted to explore just in terms of having complete fidelity across uh, our system in terms of the entirety of the organization, but given the times, we wanted to say we're, we're trying to turn over Every, every possible rock that might be worth considering. Uh, security coverage, we've increased this year with the board support given some of the incidents we had on some of our campuses. Um, but those costs, which is a combination of both the sheriffs and uh, contract security through that are subcontracted through the sheriffs, have gone up as a result of uh, basically inflation as well as the expanded services. And you know that's, uh, uh, I think, close to a million dollars itself uh, um, uh, just for that. Um, and that goes along with the next one there. Uh, reviewing uh, requested resources, we spend about a million dollars a year for those um, uh, 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 um, placements of uh, uh, homeless patients and uh, particularly difficult uh, placements where we have contracts with certain entities for beds uh, for our homeless patients for which we don't get reimbursement for, but it helps us with throughput, it helps us with placement of patients in appropriate settings so that they can continue their, their healing and recovery, but um, you know, that's a part of our administrative cost for which we don't have uh, reimbursement. No, one million. I think uh, a little over a million, I think, is what we spend now just for the contracts for which we do ourselves. Mm -hmm. We do a lot more than that, uh, but the other parts, I think, are predominantly or primarily covered through the plans uh, if they are uh, covered. Uh, service reductions, uh, obviously, uh, we have a philosophy uh, where we would try to uh, uh, minimize any impact to uh, patient care as much as possible before, or do as much as we could to, to minimize that or avoid that, uh, but that may be some uh, space that we have to get into. And these are just examples. None of these are things that we would say are, are things that we would want to advance at this point, but so the, the approach that we would take is, are there services that are provided elsewhere in the delivery system for which maybe we're not best position to do them or given our circumstances uh, uh, we should lean in other places. Uh, one of the ones you see there is Alameda Primary Care. We just mentioned it in the lease discussion earlier. Uh, you'll recall last year we uh, escalated that as a uh, priority for the organization with the board's endorsement because we had lost primary care services on the island. Uh, point in fact it's been very very slow going and uh, not without a lot of concerted effort on the clinical and uh, administrative leaders to get that clinic up and going but they 
visit volume is uh, really, really low uh, at the clinic and continues to be that way uh, for now. And we don't operate it, um, if I recall correctly, at full time now, but still it's a, it's a cost that we bear. Uh, and, you know, the question could be if we're going to cut back on primary care or specialty services anywhere else in the delivery system, uh, uh, should we be looking at that where we know that the, uh, the uh, volume has not um, 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 grown to what we projected when we did a pro forma for this despite best efforts. So, and the list goes on. But these are things that we're gradually uh, just trying to, uh, uh, you know, bring you into uh, full, full view of the reality that we're facing. Um, as I said before, and I actually appreciated some of the comments from our um, uh, CRR, uh, um, uh, I should say our resident, uh, the CRR representative uh, this evening that, you know, historically we have been, with your support, able to uh, do a lot of things with all of our labor partners to uh, recognize the value that they bring to the organization and the work that they provide uh, in support of the patients we serve. So this is not something that is an adversarial thing at all between uh, us and our unions. Uh, uh, it's something we share and something we share with you. And so uh, uh, we hope that the, the, the sentiment is of that spirit that we brought to this is, is remains and endures. It's just the times that are changing and they're really, really, really tough for us in the safety net. So. Uh, this is just an opportunity to kind of bring that into uh, even starker review for you, and we'll we'll do more of this as we go along uh, with the budget process. But uh, look for your guidance and uh, uh, direction on how best to produce this. And then, if I can just go, is it? I think there's. Oh, was the I thought the schedule was one of the slides. No, I, I, it, it, it is. It, 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 it's here. Oh, you already did it. So yeah. if I can just yeah. into that very briefly, because I think it's. Thank you, Louise. Uh, um, we pre presented this timeline to you when we initiated the process right. back in January. Uh, um, you may recall we said that we were actually trying to be aggressive this year and come up with a process that didn't take us all the way out to the end of June and bought us some time for right. implementation and all that, but we also knew that it gave us a wiggle room if we needed to go into June. Um, at the rate that we're going now, we're on two parallel paths, so we're doing this stuff internally to look at our expenses. Uh, uh, we're also uh, gradually having the conversations with uh, our county partners around what's happening on the revenue side to see if there can be some uh, opportunity or uh, effort to help us both with the permanent agreement but also with uh, general fund support. Uh, those conversations are a little, we had hoped to have the second one uh, tomorrow, but scheduling was uh, precluding that. But we have heard back and we're still trying to find that date. Uh, we got, we left the first discussion with about five questions. We've gotten 25 now, which I think includes some of those five, but reasonable questions uh, about trying to fully understand the circumstances. We're committed to getting those responses back to them and then having that conversation. But uh, the, the pace with which that occurs, uh, as I have said, said to you and we said to them, may preclude us from actually going into next year with a completed budget. Um, because other than having that discussion and, and being able to identify some uh, revenue um, 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 enhancing as well as uh, debt relieving opportunities, uh, we would only have the list you just saw and a lot more of that. So just wanted to be aware of that. Thank you. And, uh, so what I want to do now is go to uh, public comment. I'm sure there's a lot of comments from trustees, but I, I we sort of want to hear from, it's public comment, but it's, uh, my sense is from uh, partners, uh, stakeholders. So it's really important to hear from them. And I'd ask, uh, I think we do three minutes, is that right? Uh, I'd ask you to stay within the three minutes. Uh, and Linda Schrack, uh, Linda, so here, thank you for being patient again and, and sticking out with this. And
to bring you back to this Thank you. Good evening. I'm Linda Strack. Uh, I joined uh, Alameda Hospital in 2013. I've met many of you in the uh, previous years. Um, and when I came on, we were having the big forum with White Lasseter and we all crammed into conference room and, and it was standing room only. And we wanted to hear what NHS was going to bring to the table. And he ticked off the mission statement and ended it with serving all. And a lot of us were on board. Some people uh, did move on. They were not fortunate enough to stay and see the great um, strides that we made in that first negotiating contract with AHS, moving forward, bringing us competitive in the East Bay. But I saw the benefit of Alameda Hospital's reputation in the East Bay um, swell, and has always been very proud to work there. So during that day, um, uh, right made a comment, well, here we are, piled on the island. And everybody laughed. I thought that was really catchy. Um, but the reality of it is we're not Highland on the island. And, and I was so moved by our resident's speech this morning. Uh, seems like it was so long ago. The truth of it, it, it just struck me. Everything she said about the long hours they work, what it takes to make a career in the East Bay, and how people are in it. And that, that Highland will always attract, you know, the level one trauma will always attract the doctors and even the nurses. Um, and in this closed setting, I can say, sadly, Alameda doesn't have that cachet in the community of nursing professionals that people are always going to want to work at Alameda Hospital. And right now, the negotiation we're in, if it keeps going the way it's going with all the takeaways on the table, I see a very real uh, scenario of nurses going to be leaving the hospital because they can't stay in this milieu and live in the East Bay under these conditions that are being proposed with 80 to 100 takeaways in our present contract. I'm really familiar with it and I won't go through them. But, you know, I've been here, I have to work to I show up because I think it's important that you know our commitment. Um, We've had our shortfalls. It's a brave situation. And, and, you know, some of the things that I think it's important to say that the shortfalls, some are caused by what seem to be mishandlings. We had a terrible situation where our dialysis contracts weren't being reimbursed for more than a year. And we're not going to get that money back because you can't build Medicare back more. So we have great financial things. And I trust. I trust in you that you got to the root cause of what happened, and I know you did because now it's being remediated, and everyone got new training, and now everyone's going to be built appropriately for their dialysis treatment. And so what I'm asking is that you trust us as your nurses when we tell you what we need to be successful in our jobs, that it's the truth of the matter, but that's how you hear it. Um, and when I listen and hear about the respite beds and everything, I'm inspired that you're all listening to each other and talking to each other. And that's what I'm here to ask. That you continue to, to really be our partners, and whether it's at the bargaining table or in this context, to really hear us. Because we feel that we're trying to balance the budget on the backs of us through shortfalls that we have no part in making. So I hope we can move forward together. Thank you. Thank you. Rose Klein. 
Again, thank you always for patience and being there. My name is Rose Paul, and I've been a local care nurse at Alameda Hospital for 39 years. And I'm also on the um, bargaining committee for the contract. Um, healing, caring, teaching, and serving God is the philosophy of Alameda Health System. Who is at the bedside 24-7? The nurses. I, I understand that we have a budget, which is very enlightening. But to cut back the budget on the nursing care, the quality of it by staffing, equipment that isn't working. We've had a bed in critical care, three beds, we have eight beds. Three beds have been broken for the last month. We have to use floor beds. That's not fair to a patient that's there. Equipment on the weekends, when I work the weekends and we don't even have medications or IV fluids that we have to mix with critical medications. And we have to, you know, scrounge around everywhere just to look for it. It's not even on a certain floor, our floor. Um, I understand. However, after all this, all I ask is that patient quality is the most important thing, and nurses will give that. And all I want, and nurses too, is a fair, competitive contract to keep these nurses. I've been through a lot with Alameda Hospital. If anybody knows about the district of Alameda Hospital, how it was a small hospital, district hospitals, and guess who went out there? Where's the nurses? So I just thought I'd let you guys know. Thank you. Okay. One more here. Uh, Rachel Cook. Rachel, thank you. I wasn't anticipating actually speaking today. It's a really living conversation, so I wanted to say, say a few things. I was actually taking care of my dad, who's in a skilled nursing facility. He just spent a month at Alameda Hospital. Um, we got a bill for about $600,000 for that month he was there. He has private insurance, so he's paying. So we are doing our part in helping, hopefully, this crisis with revenue. Um, but what I wanted to say was um, a little bit about um, Mr. DeBreeze. You said that there was so, some statistic about 121 patients that cost $135 million. Is that what you said? Is it a yeah, 35 million, because of throughput problems. Um, and Mr. Chacon, you brought a really good point about, you know, this um, respite care at Fairmont um, facility and getting the communities involved. Um, you know that there's already a committee with all the mayors of the cities that are already working on this. They've all received money to help deal with the homeless problem. That could be an in for us to already partner. Like it's a meeting that they're already, we've already been started that we can partner with to try to address that problem. Um, however, the problem of throughput is not just that we can't identify a location for them to go to, it's that we don't have the staffing needs and the people involved at the bedside to get that process moving along fast enough. We don't have the nurses that are there that can do the discharge teaching and can do all the things that would need to be done for that person to be discharged. We don't have the case managers and the social workers that are there that can help identify those places and help with that throughput problem. So even if we can identify more places for them to go to at the end, we need the staff there that are able to facilitate that entire process. And we don't have that currently. And um, the way contract negotiations are going right now with the cuts in healthcare benefits and the cuts in um, you know, protected stuff that we've had in our contract before, we won't have that staff. We're going to have even more staff leaving. I'll tell you right now, we do not have 
nurses lining up at the door to come work at these facilities. Um, we don't, I mean, we, I even heard managers say things like they're not going to get fired because there's nobody, they can't hire anyone to take their position. And that's, that's a scary thought because it is supposed to be one of the premier facilities. And I know Highland is treated that way, but San Leandro and Alameda, we don't have that reputation right now. Um, and instead of hiring more staff, we've hired these clinical nurse supervisors who sometimes I even hear them say that they don't know what they're supposed to be doing today. We need more staff members, more nurses at the bedside who can facilitate this group process, who can help with the discharges, and we do need to identify more discharge locations for them, especially with some of the 1152. But unless we address the staffing problem and um, and keeping nurses, right, keeping the retention of the nurses that we currently have, which I think is in the near future going to really be a problem, then we're going to continue to have group problems. And I think that's where we should, where we should focus um, these budgetary problems and production of revenue. Great. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you. Okay, that was a public comment. Now, I'd invite the trustees to weigh in. <laughs> it's kind of um, a daunting challenge. Yeah, thanks for putting together the options that were pretty hard to hear about and, and see. Um, but I think it's important that we be considering them. I guess my question is, are we similar to the, that short list, like I said, that was hard to read, of um, our from lower margin areas of service um, and considering cutting them back? Do we also have a similar list of maybe higher margin um, services that we do where there might be revenue opportunities that like might be independent of the county, but you know, I'm not sure what those might be. But for instance, um, things that are a gap or a need in the community that are high demand and need that we have in our high margin that where we could increase, like I don't know, MLI or um, some specialty services. Do we have lists like that and some projected potential um, on the revenue side that we think we could increase to help close our gap? So we, we've been having some of those conversations. Uh, we, um, I, Mr. Schwartz was here. She is okay. Um, maybe do you do you want to speak to some of the things? I, what I will say is we we have uh, uh, one of the areas I know is a uh, an opportunity and is also an area where we uh, have. Uh, relative uh, expertise and, and services of skilled nursing, actually. And we've had conversations with um, one of our managed care partners uh, that has indicated that there is, just like we're seeing uh, from our own uh, viewpoint, uh, uh, in the market, a need for skilled nursing, and probably much like ours, uh, more, uh, more for more complicated patients, which is where we have had more success in our own walls and uh, placing those patients in, in the community. And so we know there's a need there. Now the issue is, as we were just talking about earlier, and we pointed this out when we were talking about respite beds, um, uh, where could we potentially do those services, expand them if necessary, and get the relative you know, resources to be able to do that. And uh, so Fairmont is one idea. Uh, um, uh, our challenges at Park Bridge, uh, there's no co additional capacity, but we have to spend the money on the roof, which we don't have in our capital plan right now. Um, uh, but obviously, it goes into the conversation about Alameda Hospital as well, uh, uh, and whether there is some ability to increase. Um, we only right now do uh, subacute uh, at that particular. Um, within those walls, we have the small uh, snap right across the street, but 
uh, a host of sort of other things, but it's, uh, uh, as, as with anything else, it has trade-offs too, but that's one area that we're looking at. Uh, we have done analysis to look at where our margins are in certain services. I don't know that as a part of the budget analysis, we've actually delved into saying, well, we, because with everything, um, it's about investing first and then getting the return, and so uh, it's tough to fasten the notion of investing when we have such a big also, if there's anything that's underutilized or where we actually have capacity, I guess that'd be another question. As a part of the budgeting process, we have looked at the capacity that underutilization and challenged ourselves to see how we increase, especially in areas like ambulatory where we're seeing declining revenues. So that part is already in the process. Uh, just like Delvec, you mentioned, he's already mentioned areas that are uh, access issues, either from a throughput perspective or from a need perspective for us. Those are, he's already mentioned those. We've actually done an exhaustive margin analysis of all our programs to see where the opportunities are. But again, as Delvec, you mentioned, some of them come with the upfront resource needs that are required of capital and they know our capital challenges. So it's a balance of what, what can we do and where's our um, bandwidth to execute on those things in the immediate year. I think some of these things require a little bit more of a thoughtful process that looks not only within addressing an immediate need, uh, but also looking at more of a forecast to say what are the needs across the county for our safety net population. And we know on the revenue side and the supplemental side, most of these programs offer margin, but not to the extent that some of the other uh, payers offer. And, and so that's also a challenge for us. So it's, it's sort of a balance, and some of these things take time. Um, so it's really uh, directionally where do we want to go, um, and, um, and the investment may be out, but it will take time to do so. And, and we produce uh, that, that information before we could bring it back forward. Uh, uh, but well, point in fact, as we're saying, it's not, it's not a significant part of the budget process right, right now, but uh, if you know, the board wants to look at those and explore those and have us kind of uh, uh, put any combination of them into the hopper to see both you know, heads and tails if we're able to produce, um, um, if they would help us, and we can certainly do that. I mean, just from my perspective, um, if that trust you to be, it sounds like the skill nursing is sort of the intersection of, at the intersection of all these things where there's potential for revenue, there's potential for partnerships given the current landscape across the county, there's a high need, there's other players involved, we've got space that we have, we don't have an, an alternate use for at the time, and it sound, that sounds like a good area to focus first. Yeah, that makes sense. Other comments? We're going to have, obviously, have a much longer conversation about this. I'll wrap by saying, um, I'm sorry, can I add one of the discriminatory pieces, actually, since uh, my general counsel was uh, smart enough to uh, pass along to me? Uh, I perhaps been a little bit uh, uh, more lax than I should be about the notion that we might not have a budget by June 30th. Uh, apparently, there's a specific article in our bylaws uh, that actually requires that we do, so we will one way or another. Yes, uh, I, was, I was hearkening to my experience as a board member for the Alameda Alliance, where we uh, uh, often will do an interim budget for yeah. weeks yeah. to be finalized and then finalize that. Uh, but we will try to the statute and do what we need to do in terms and of and Evaluating the budget, yes. but, and a bit different consideration. Yes, it's always valuable. So, yes, there are some ways to deal with it, but I, we do need to be cognizant of that provision. Thank you, yes, particularly on the public record. Yes, thank you. So, all that by saying this, uh, I'm married to a nurse, and uh, 
I think, um, you know, when I hear uh, nurses speak, it, it, uh, I know it comes from the heart, and it, it's a reality that uh, patient care is really about the touch that happens with uh, primary providers like nurses and patients. And um, I, I can only speak for myself, but the sense I get from the Board of Trustees is that uh, we care deeply about patient care, and we get that how that happens is uh, the sort of uh, professionals of nurses touching those patients in a real way. The other side of me is also very much um, concerned about, uh, I would describe myself as a bit of a hawk in this conversation. When I hear us move to a 1.4 EBITDA, I get very nervous. Uh, the state of California requires that school boards pass budgets with a 5% reserve assumption in them. And uh, I notice that that's not even enough for a lot of school districts. Uh, Oakland School District comes to mind. Um, and so uh, I think we've got to be really careful about trying to move forward without some um, space for what's going to happen in life, which is things could actually even get worse than this. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, that's uh, I'm going to be a voice for that as the chair of the finance committee to staff because we cannot go into a year so thin on reserve that uh, we are actually in a solvency issue later. Um, and I'm in there and that we'll go forth to the retreat. Does anyone else want to add anything? Okay, on that cheery note. Um, we have a couple of action items. We move us on. Uh, we're not sure we have two, yeah. There's a uh, item C related to... I'm in approval. Okay. Second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. The next item is item D, under approval. Second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. We're there. And uh, issues tracking... Uh, budget. Budget, budget, budget. You know, I, I wanted uh, Dr. Avila to actually uh, speak to, we had a conversation about revenue captured. I, that may not be describing what you were getting at. But having staff do some reporting, not, not in this moment, <laughs> but maybe later, uh, early in, in next fiscal year, mm -hmm. around reporting out on our process, reporting out on uh, maybe some opportunities around revenue capture. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing it back up. I remember, I recall some of the conversations, but I, I, um, I shouldn't speak. Uh, I'm trying to get the transition. I want to make sure we capture that because I, I felt like there were two separate questions you asked. So let's make sure we fully understand it and then can bring back some analysis for you on uh, whether it's revenue enhancing pieces or I, I seem to recall a conversation around contractuals and understanding. Right, just in terms of the whole bucket of write-offs, um, right, right, how much is contractual adjustment, how much is um, denials, and then what is our success rate in, in terms of billing and then re-billing denials. And so just drilling down a little bit further into what we're, what it is that we're writing off. Okay. 
So it's educational and then also, you know, what are options? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll work to bring that forward. As you said, probably uh, not a lot of space to do it within the context of the budget uh, right now, but, but maybe shortly thereafter, we'll, yeah. we'll make sure we capture it on the... Uh, we'll since we're not meeting in August, so I think that's good. So we got to to okay. issues tracking. Thank you. Any other comments from trustees? No. Not hearing any, I'm Thank you. Thank you.